All right, first time guest on the show, Rich Mogul. Welcome to the talk show. Thanks for having me. I famously sometimes don't do a lot of prep for the show, <laughs> but I, I do keep a running list of topics. And there, in, in, in the time since my last episode, there has been a very consistent theme on the topics that uh, are here to talk about. And they relate to computer security, privacy, which are not necessarily two sides of the one coin, but are certainly related. And I thought, I've been thinking about having you on the show for a long time, and I thought, well, for God's sake, if with a big list of security-related topics, why not have Rich on the show now? Thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, excited to be here. So for people who aren't familiar with you, what's your background? Uh, alcoholism. Um, <laughs> take my kids rock climbing. So no, the, uh, my day-to-day -day is... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not at the same time. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been doing security for like 20 ish years at this point. So I was actually an analyst over at Gartner. That's when I first started getting involved with Apple stuff. Spun out, started my own company about uh, 11 years ago. Uh, it's done pretty darn well. Um, just doing uh, security advisory services and such. And also have a new startup that's doing security stuff over in the cloud. So this has been kind of my uh, security has been bread and butter for a while now. Pays the bills. Uh, and it never, never gets old. <laughs> it's a growth industry. So it's like plastics. It is, you know, there are, I always say it's like, it, it, it's kind of an interesting exercise is what are, what are the fields where it's, it, you've got a bright future uh, or at least opportunities <laughs> ahead. And I would say computer security is one of those, you know, uh, it, <laughs> there's all sorts of fields, you know, and it's not funny when, when, you know, industries get disrupted and people lose jobs, et cetera. It's, you know, but security is one that's good to go. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. You know, when I started like 15, 20 years ago, it was kind of a small thing. I mean, even for the Apple stuff, we were, mm -hmm. you know, almost screaming into the void. And now there's things like Russia and China and cars and rockets. And so it's been, uh, it's been a pretty wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember talking about the Russians 20 years ago. I mean, I remember talking about them, but not as it relates to personal security. See, we knew there was a movie, Red Dawn. If you watch that, <laughs> it was a precursor to everything. Uh, I haven't watched Red Dawn since I think Red Dawn came out when I was exactly the age of the, the protagonists of Red Dawn. I'm going to guess Red Dawn without looking at IMDb. I'm going to guess it came out in 1984. I probably, cause I'm, I think you and I are about the same age yeah. and th that it resonated. Let's see. Let's see how close I am. Let's see. Red Dawn. Yep. 1984. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's why impressive. In a, why in the world? <laughs> I, I was just talking to a friend about this, about it. I can remember very specifically weird things from like the eighties. Like I could tell you exactly what year certain world series were. I, I, I believe I was talking, it was, we were talking about Super Bowls, and I remember that 1984 was the season where Dan Marino broke all sorts of passing records. Like why in the world? I don't remember it vaguely as the mid eighties, but specifically 1984. What a waste of brain cells. Whereas stuff that happened two, three years ago, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I got to go look that up. Like, when did the iPhone eight come out? And I, I got to sit there and count on my fingers, like <laughs> what year it was. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember two days ago, but I remember my exact emotional state when I saw the very first preview to the Michael Keaton Batman. <laughs> it was, it was really exciting going back to the eighties. I just, 
and riding my moped after around town when I was 16 years old or 17 after watching Top Gun. Just, right. I, I was, man, I was, I was right there on my crotch rocket moped. Right. Bright it, orange. It is funny yeah. because I remember the Keaton Batman too very vividly. And it was, in hindsight, looking at it, it is so Tim Burton y and, and sort of comical and farcical. You know, it's almost, it, it almost verges on the, the border of a musical, you know, like the scene where, uh, Nicholson's Joker comes in and, you know, uh, in the restaurant where uh, Vicky Vale is waiting for him and his his henchmen are you know, spray painting all the artwork and knocking stuff over. It's almost a musical. Right. Whereas as a kid being used to the Adam West, that this is what televised Batman looks like. Right. The 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 Keaton Batman look like this is this is seriously dark and yeah. serious. <laughs> Well, it's like all of those, too, because you've got Burton or like Zack Snyder, who's now remade Watchmen three, four, five different times because right. all of his DC movies look the same. Right. But with Burton, I mean, he's more creative than that, but he, he, it's just that tone. But that was early enough that, you know, that that tone was like new and original. Yeah. I still think casting Michael Keaton as Batman is still one of the masterstrokes of casting in movie history. Like, and I, I, everybody was like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. How can Mr. Mom be Batman? That was... Not only was that genius, but the way they brought him back for Spider-Man Homecoming and that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the yeah. maturity and the gravitas he brought to that and that that history for those of us who are old enough. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm nerding out here. Yeah. I, I know you want to talk about security at some yeah, point. Yeah, but he's but. a terrific actor. That's the, thing. That's the thing is that Michael Keaton is just absolutely a terrific actor. And it's one of those things where there's all sorts of serious actors who cannot do comedy. And there's all sorts of actors who can do comedy who who can do serious stuff. You know, Robin Williams would be a terrific example of that where my God, when he got serious, it was, you know, he could be, you know, as, as good as any actor on the planet. Then you've got jerks like, uh, Chris Hemsworth and Channing Tatum who are like these buff action gods and they just act really well. And they are funny as shit. I just saw bad times at the old Royale and mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh Jesus, where, where did he come from in this movie? It was amazing. Yeah. I like that movie. That was pretty good. Yeah. Reminded me sort of of a '90s throwback, you know, like the uh, the almost uh, theater like limitation of 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 how few sets there were, you know, like the whole thing yeah, took place at the at the hotel. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't watched it, but it's it's very good, entertaining. Does uh, like my main thing now these days is just can I predict exactly where this movie is going or not? And the answer was no, and so I was interested. Well, I mean, that's why I love Last Jedi, which is so controversial for a lot of mm. people, because I, I had no idea where that movie was going till the end. Yeah, I didn't love it, but I liked it, you know, and yeah. you know, I don't expect them, you know, if I wanted to, you know, I should have devoted my life to trying to become a writer for Star Wars if I wanted to. Uh, I don't know. There's an awful lot of people who seem to want to write, <laughs> write the next Star Wars movie. And it's like, uh, you know, just sit back and, and enjoy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I have one piece of follow-up. There was on the last episode I mentioned offhandedly, and of course I mentioned something offhand. It it suddenly becomes a big story on Mac rumors that that somebody told me, somebody who would know, told me basically that uh, Apple has been selling Apple TV pretty much since its inception, since the original Apple TV, uh, that they more or less sell them at cost, uh, and they don't. They're not a big profit maker, and that they're selling the HomePod for under cost. 
uh, and just got picked up by Mac rumors. And oh my God, did I hear from people who said, no way, Apple doesn't sell anything. Uh, you know, everything they have is super high margin, blah, blah, blah. I can't prove it. I'm not saying that I know this for a fact. All I'm saying is a source that I trust very much said so. And to me, it makes a lot of sense as to why HomePod is so much more expensive than its ostensible competition. Uh, you know, I, I, that's all I can say about it is, boy, oh boy, did I hear it from people who said Apple doesn't sell anything at less than a high margin. And I just think people are underestimating like when 99% of everything they sell is either a Mac, iPad, or, or of course, iPhone, uh, that something like HomePod or Apple TV that sells in relatively minuscule amounts, if it was selling at cost or about cost, would have no effect on their margin whatsoever. I think the, I mean, I use both of those devices. We're all in on that. And, and there's such a clear quality difference. I mean, not just the build construction, but the the reliability that most of the other things that I've tried, including the uh, the Alexas, I mean, it's pretty noticeable. It would not surprise me at all, um, or at least in the first year or two of the manufacturing of those. Yeah. Well, and I just think that, you know, and the backstory that I've heard on HomePod makes a lot of sense was that initially it was meant as a sort of, uh, you know, like a, more of a Apple TV peripheral where you'd plug, you know, hook it up or maybe not hook it up with wires, but that it was meant to be like the speakers for your Apple TV or something like that. But it really was like, it's, it's another one of those cases where, where my rule of thumb of take Apple at its word. It's usually the truth where their description of it as primarily a speaker, not, not really a, Hey, this is a Siri. This is our answer to the talking devices thing. You know, that first and foremost, it's a, a, you know, a serious high quality speaker system. And then it just happens to have Siri as the interface secondarily. That's, that's honestly the, the truth of it. I don't know. People make a lot of hay over the, you know, the market share of this thing, but there's, there's no question. I mean, Apple has, there's no way that Apple introduced this thing at $350 and expected it to compete in a unit sale comparison with Amazon things that cost $60 or Google's low end Google home things, Google voice, whatever they call them. Well, it, you write about this all the time. I mean, one of my personal pet peeves is Apple come out with a new product and everyone assumes because it's not a, a one-to-one parody with something else that's already on the market down to price and features. And, and it, if it doesn't work exactly the way the thing that was there first worked, then there's got to be a flaw with it. And yet they built all these class defining devices and in many cases have taken the time to nurture those through the process. I mean, some of them, they drop like the, whatever, what was the hi-fi stereo thing and a few yeah. others. But, um, I mean, it, it seemed pretty clear that this was a long-term bet from the beginning on the home pods, at least. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard my, you ever heard my story about Steve jobs and the iPod hi-fi? No, I had a friend who, who worked at Apple and long story short, had to have a meeting in Jobs's suite and uh, got up there, you know, five minutes early, of course, and, uh, you know, checked in with Jobs's personal assistant and, you know, relatively small, you know, it's, it's you know, I, I think Tim Cook's, I've seen Tim Cook's office. I don't know if it's the new one. I guess it was his old one at Infinite Loop, not the 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 new one at the the ring, but, uh, you know, very humble, you know, relative to, to what it could be. Um, 
but he's, you know, got a receptionist or a personal assistant, and then he's got his own personal office. And then over to the other side, there's, there's, you know, like a boardroom type table where the meeting was going to be, but he could look right into Jobs's office. I forget what year this was, maybe, you know, 2009, 2010. Um, and he said he expected it to be like this austere monk-like, you know, there'd be nothing in there except a glass desk with like <laughs> mint condition, one mint condition iMac and nothing else. And he said, instead, it was a relatively small office and it was just stacked from floor to ceiling with boxes of the now at that point discontinued iPod hi-fi <laughs> like they discontinued it but Jobs loved it so much where he was like well put 40 of them in my office <laughs> just like in the box sitting yeah, on the, like against the wall. yeah like just the, the the retail boxes like that's All where right. that's where they were storing them and it, it like threw him off and like he was like I got to get my head in the game because this is a big meeting <laughs> That's awesome. I have no idea what happened to those iPod high fives, but that's my. That's Doesn't my Jason still have one? Uh, he probably does. I don't know. I never bought one because I never really had an interest at that time of a. I never had any kind of plug my iPod into a speaker system thing. I don't know why, but I didn't. I, I was the same way, but I worked at a desk. And so I had iTunes and I had computer speakers and that was fine. Yeah. That sort of was my situation was I already had decent speakers, decent enough speakers connected to my computer in my office, my home office. And there was no other, nowhere else in the house where we needed speakers. So I, I never really got one, but everybody said it had good sound. I don't know. <laughs> Small consolation. All right, let's get started though. Uh, let's see first on my list. Well, there is a little bit of other news. Uh, WWDC 2009, Mac Rumors has published their best guess, pretty educated, that it's going to be June 3 to 7 in San Jose. No surprise there. Uh, there's sort of a cottage industry in guessing the WWDC dates because people want to see if they can get, you know, like a cheaper hotel room or, you know, book it in advance or whatever. And everybody I know has been guessing June 3 to 7 for months. I mean, going back to December. Um, but Mac rumors uncovered some like, like, a wherever, whatever the name of the public field is where the bash, the annual bash is held. There's already, there was already something on the schedule for the Thursday of that week. And it even had Apple's name on it, which is sort of like an up. Uh Oh, uh, but the big tell to me, and I didn't know, I didn't realize this was that O'Reilly is holding, uh, something called the velocity conference the next, the very next week at San Jose. Cause that would be the only other guest that would be a normally scheduled WWDC would be the, the week starting June 10th. So I'm, you know, I, I feel like this is a lock. I've actually made a hotel reservation based on this. Do you go to Did WWDC? I usually fly in for like a day. Apple yeah. will have me come for the uh, the keynote stuff, but I, I tend not to have the time to stay because right. that time of year, just with the security industry stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah. I think I usually run into you there. Yeah. 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 Most years. The, um, I'm so glad they moved it though. Like uh, I have to go out in a couple of weeks to San Francisco for our big security trade show conference of the year. Uh, hotel rooms are for anything within walking distance of Moscone between 700 and a thousand dollars a night. Oh my God. That's nuts. That actually makes San Jose's four to five fifty rates look reasonable. 
I, I got friends staying in Oakland for 500 a night. <laughs> that's, that's the discount. The discount is you stay in Oakland. You're probably a good... I've taken the the Muni for that because I've flown into... I used to fly into Oakland all the time on Southwest. So I know that Muni trip. It's like about 30 minutes. And then you get off at uh, right on Market Street. If you time it right. If like, you time it right, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not super inconvenient, but it's not certainly not super convenient. But yeah, when the all the hotels are seven hundred dollars to start, and and st- the ones that are lower end in that area are not are not seven hundred dollar a night hotels. At <laughs> some of the places I've stayed over the years, when especially when MacWorld was still over there, and because I have to pay my own way to those. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the there was not, a, not good when they first moved when Apple first moved it to San Jose two years ago. Um, I'm not mis I'm not miscounting right. We've had two two and counting. This will be the third WWDC back in San Jose, I believe. Speaking of my shoddy modern memory, pretty I think sure so because I skipped one. Yeah, I'm almost sure and went to one. I so, remember the yeah. first year, two years ago, they even mentioned, hey, this should be more affordable. You know, San Jose should be more affordable compared to San Francisco. And it's like at this point, the hotels for San Jose are more expensive now than San Francisco was three years ago. So it's like, what's the point? But then if you like price out San Francisco, <laughs> it is like, oh, my God, this is crazy land. It is. Well, and it depends on what it is. Like I've had to go out for meetings with Apple on occasion. I haven't done those in a while, but when I was like, depending on the amount of warning, it was a hundred dollars a night for a halfway decent room or $500 a night because somebody had some event going on yeah. in the Valley. Yeah. It definitely like, varies tremendously. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what this, I guess I'm glad it's not in San Francisco anymore. I, I like San Francisco as a city better than San Jose, but my God, the cost is just it's just off the charts yeah i think they both suck i mean no offense to everybody listening in the yeah. bay area but uh, at least that the moscone area san francisco if i never have to go back there i'd be fine and it's you know what sucks i'll tell you what really sucks is getting from sfo to san jose i guess i gotta get i guess i gotta get an uber last year i made the huge mistake and just got in a cab and i think i should have known from the year before don't don't do it because it's like a hundred and ten dollar cab ride. There's yeah, more with traffic. Uh, it it was like ridiculous, and it's not that far. But you know, I guess because they are technically San Francisco cabs, San Jose is you know, you know, I don't know. You cross some sort of perimeter of this is a normal San Francisco cab ride, and all of a sudden it's like a hundred and ten dollar cab ride, and you already feel. I already feel like. <laughs> Like there's a vacuum sucking money out of my pocket. Like, Can you I, not fly into San Jose airport? Cause that's, I mean, it's right well, there. Well, I could in theory, it is extremely close and convenient, but from Philadelphia, it's, it, it's even with the hassle of getting from San Jose to SFO, it's, there's no direct flights from Philly. So I'd rather have a direct flight to SFO and deal with getting there than, than, yeah. than have a, a stop. I don't know. As I've gotten older, I have become almost allergic to to anything other than nonstop flights. Mostly, not necessarily because of it, it takes longer, but because it, it just it doubles your chances of something going wrong. Right, a mechanical problem with a plane, weather from the inbound city, you know, weather at the city that you're at, you know, that anything can happen to delay it. 
Yeah, I mean, I fly two, three times a month. I'll take the 6 a.m. direct over a, you know, a, a 10 a.m. with a connection or something, even if it's less convenient. Yeah. And never, ever, ever check bags if you have a connecting flight or you're, I mean, that's just. That's another one too, right? And for, for because uh, uh, my wife always comes to WWDC to help with the live show and stuff. And so we definitely check bags. And yes, checking bags with a connection is just, <laughs> you might as well just kiss your luggage goodbye. It's like rolling the dice. Yeah, I've been known to pack spare clothes and toiletries in my carry-on if yeah. I have to check a bag. Yeah. Uh, all right, first first topic, big one. This this I almost forgot to put it on the list, but the Jeff Bezos story with the National Enquirer, which uh, when I first started writing about it on Daring Fireball, it was a week old at least, and I had sort of ignored it because initially I, I had filed it under sort of personal gossip, which I tend to stay away with, not out of, I'm not trying to be holier than now, but it's just not my bag, you know, that if so-and-so is an industry, famous industry executive and they are, you know, having marital strife or, or running around on their spouse or something like that, that's just not daring fireball material. And I sort of filed it under that and didn't really give it much thought, but then, <laughs> Wow. Uh, Bezos, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows the basic gist of it, where Bezos uh, wrote a post on Medium, which is interesting. And I think it was a sort of a, I'm sort of anti-Medium in general and really wish more people would have their own blogs. But this was sort of a perfect use of Medium because I don't think it would have been appropriate at all for him to use either the Amazon, some sort of Amazon blog or somehow like publish an op-ed in the Washington Post, which he owns. I don't think either of the, I think both of those would have been very inappropriate. I've go so far to say, and I'm sure he knows it too. So having Medium as this neutral platform and then being able to tweet the link and every, you know, his Twitter is verified, like his tweet, while it didn't contain the, the meat of the subject was the sort of, well, this was definitely Bezos. This isn't somebody saying they're Jeff Bezos. Uh, more or less coming out and having email proof that the National Enquirer was trying to extort him into saying uh, things that weren't true, <laughs> lest they reveal uh, even more personal information, texts, pictures uh, from his uh, uh, girlfriend. You know, it's, it's like coming out of the, I'll, I'll put my security hat on instead of my movie fanboy hat. Um, and this is a really fascinating story because you look between the lines and like one of the problems in security, you get really paranoid and you'll hear zebras. Um, you know, you'll think zebras when you hear those, those hoof beats. Uh, and then, but then sometimes it's a zebra and, hmm. and boy, this, this sounds like a zebra to me because the story of the brother of the, you know, of the woman he was having an affair with, uh, right. somehow getting her text and releasing it in that way. Maybe he was responsible for it, but the way all of this lines up and the Trump stuff and the Saudi Arabia stuff, uh, I suspect it's not the extreme of the conspiracy, but I mean, it really, I don't know. I, I like to sit back and wait and see how these stories develop versus jumping to conclusions. Right. So the, the basic story is that, and it seems as though everybody is in agreement at this point, although it's not, there's been no conclusive proof that her, her brother somehow is, was the one who, who released the, these text messages, which I'll come back, which phrase I'll come back to in a moment and photos 
exchanged between the two to the national Enquirer. Um, and it just bizarrely, I mean, it's just like, what are the odds that Jeff Bezos's girlfriend would have a brother who is an a longtime associate of Roger Stone, who's now been <laughs> indicted and a, a well-known Trump supporter, the most innocent looking walking out of jail photo in history <laughs> with Trump being a, 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 a vocal and continuous uh, critic of the Washington Post and Bezos's ownership thereof, uh, Trump seems convinced that, you know, uh, Trump clearly, whatever you think of Trump politically, he clearly comes at this from the perspective of if you're a billionaire who owns a newspaper, of course you wield your ownership to pursue personal vendettas, uh, which... <laughs> is a not how the Washington Post should work and b not how Jeff Bezos you know by all by all accounts and appearances Jeff Bezos is doing is his ownership of the the Washington Post editorially is completely hands off he is you know and and knowing the you know I don't know anybody personally at the Washington Post but uh you know from what I know of of their leadership that you know they wouldn't stand for it you know, they're not going to, but it like, tr good luck convincing Donald Trump of that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's inconceivable to someone right. like, like him. I mean, look at, I mean, look at the history with AMI and the national Enquirer, which right. has directly been used. So why right. would he possibly think that Bezos would, I don't right. know, have ethics or something. Right. And so Trump doesn't own the national Enquirer, but he's longtime friends with the guy who does, whose name unbelievably is David Pecker. <laughs> Which has used his friendship, not even ownership, but just friendship with the owner of the National Enquirer to a bury stories damaging to him famously and now part of the Mueller investigation in terms of the payoffs that they made to keep women that Donald Trump had affairs with their stories. You know, what do they call it? Catch and kill where the National Enquirer would give them $100,000 for the exclusive rights to their story and then uh, just bury it, put it in a literally put it in a safe. And use the National Enquirer to to uh, slander, uh, I, in in the non legal term, let's say in the colloquially, Donald Trump's enemies. For example, National Enquirer was the publication that ran on the front page on the cover a story alleging that Ted Cruz's father uh, helped kill JFK. Uh, by the way, I, I found the headline. All right. It's Bezos exposes Pecker. That's it. Exposes. How could I forget? Bezos yeah. exposes Pecker. <laughs> well, and so the, the most <laughs> stunning thing to me other than that is, I mean, you write that headline, you retire. I mean, right. it doesn't get any better than that. But um, the uh, I, I can't believe anything the Inquirer publishes is even true. Like I just assumed that was fiction. It was like the onion for – but I'm oh, not see, say something I, disparaging see, there. See, I I knew that that's not the case. They're, like the Weekly World News, I don't even know if they still exist. But in terms of like the heyday of supermarket tabloids, the Weekly World News was the one that was like the Onion, where they had like Bat Boy and and aliens and stuff like that. The National Enquirer, uh, because they deal with real people and, and could therefore be sued <laughs> for real money. You know, plays by different standards, and and famously, I, w I would say one of the biggest you know bits of you know I don't want to say history altering, but certainly affected the political landscape was that they were the publication that revealed that John Edwards was uh, oh yeah cheating on his wife. God, uh, I forgot about that. You know who who was in 
2008 uh or was he was he Kerry's vice president in 2004 nominee i believe he was right i think so yeah and then, Kerry Edwards. and then in 2008 everybody remembers 2008 as a very close democratic uh primary between hillary clinton and, and barack obama uh, but John Edwards was in that. I mean, and it was he was it was a three a, a very serious three way race for quite a while. I mean, it, it's not you know certainly not out of uh, the imagination that he could have been vice president under John Kerry or, or presidential nominee in two thousand eight. But they broke the story that he was cheating on his wife. Uh, you know, no, I you know I was, there's probably a lot of people like you who think everything in the Enquirer is. is fake or made up, but it's, it's not, it's, you know, I, I don't know that it's, <laughs> I don't want to swear that everything is the God off, you know, the exact truth, but it's, you know, it's more true than not in terms of what they, what they print because they're, you know, liable for slander and libel. Well, and this, this kind of spun off the conversation, you know, how, how did they potentially get those texts? Right. Because... That... Right. And, and my thing that I wrote about, and I always, I really wish that publications would get more serious about it is what, what format, what, what medium were these quote unquote texts sent as? I would think if you really, you know, most people would think by, by a technical definition, a quote unquote text message is an SMS message or MMS, whatever you want to say, but you know, that's a text but colloquially, people call texting pretty much anything that has DMs, and they certainly people certainly refer to i i message messages as quote unquote texts, um, which is you know it's only natural for people to say that because Apple one of the reasons iMessage has become so successful so popular is that Apple integrated it with the um, with the same app you know, that's used for text messaging messages. So if you send your text, your actual SMS text messages with the same app as iMessage, it's only natural to refer to them as text. But once you get to the technical level of how did they get these, boy, is there a big difference between iMessage and SMS. Yeah. I mean, they are night and day SMS being completely broken and insecure at this point. And iMessage, you know, not perfect, but really good. I mean, in, in almost as close as you can get without introducing barriers to usability. Right. Uh, that would, that would take away of that, that seamless experience. Uh, you know, and the big one is that iMessage is end to end encrypted, uh, where the encryption, you know, Apple doesn't see the messages. Now we, I, I, one of the reasons I want you on this to show is, is that doesn't mean that there's no way to get them from your iCloud account. But they're not on your iCloud account stored unencrypted, and there's no way that Apple sees them. They like I send you an iMessage; it goes, you know, I type it on my phone, and it is encrypted as it leaves my phone, and it isn't it it isn't decrypted until it gets to your devices. Yeah, and it's a really uh, a really interesting way that they set that up, where you've got these key rings. So think of it as a, a ring of your house keys. And every time you uh, basically are sending a message to somebody, and I'm, I'm dramatically oversimplifying, but your every message is encrypted with the key for that person and device. And these are all different, and the encryption is entangled with device IDs depending on kind of which versions of things you're on and which things you're using. 
Uh, obviously, it's stronger on, on iPhones and iPads, and it's going to be a bit weaker on Macs uh, if you've got those synced up, uh, as well as now we've got it up, as you said, stored up in iCloud, but encrypted in and no keys up in iCloud. And so it's all device-to-device keys exchanged. So in a situation like this, for somebody else to gain access to those, if it's uh, if it's SMS, it's stupid easy. You just go to the carrier and you get a record of it or you hack the phone. Uh, for iPhone, you either have to hack the device, which we know is is possible, but like kind of nation-state level stuff for the most part or very serious attacker level stuff. Uh, you have to have physical access to the device. But even then, I mean, was he doing screenshots and then forwarding these on via email to the Inquirer? Like somehow it, it sounds like the Inquirer has those texts and has those images, which means somehow they weren't just viewed and conveyed verbally to them. They yeah. were actually forwarded on. And that's right. a big deal. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that involves, that means some deeper level of access if it was iMessage. Yeah. And, uh, well, but one of the things, one of the things that is game over is device access, right? So if her brother, if she had a relationship where she trusted her brother, she being Bezos's girlfriend, um, if she, if her brother, she trusted her brother enough that he could have her phone and either knew her passcode or God forbid, she doesn't even use a passcode, but if he could get into her phone or could get her to say, Hey, can I use your phone for a second? You know, let me look something up. And she trusted him enough for that. It's game over no matter what you're using. If I'm hanging out with the president's public enemy number three and my brother's friends with his like buddy, Roger Stone, I'm probably not going to let my sister touch log into my devices, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's feasible. And, um, and there's no interception by the way, just to like, maybe he could trick her and add a device, but then you have to approve that and put in your one. Yeah. Like it's really hard to, it's doable. It's not, not easy. Yeah. Uh, I do wonder though, how he exported them. I, like, I do want to know, like, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to see the pictures, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but I do want to know how, like how, I still want to know, even if he's the guilty party, you know, even if that's true, I still want to know how he got the pictures. Did he screenshot them? Uh, did he, and if so, how did he get the screenshots off her phone? Right. It's, yeah. you know, did he take pictures of her phone with his phone? Is that, you know, did she leave her Mac unlocked during Thanksgiving? Who knows? Right. Because it yeah, doesn't I, have to be her phone. It could be something like that. Then there was even a story along those lines in the, uh, I don't forget. I forget the title. The latest tell-all book to come out of a former Trump administration official, uh, some low-level guy who was like a speechwriter, who got called into uh, Kellyanne Conway's office. Do you see this story? Where uh, no, uh-uh. uh, I'll have to look up his name. But uh, basically, he needed to write a speech, and he came into Kellyanne Conway's office, and she said, "Here, just use my MacBook." and uh, she opened her Mac or was open or whatever. And he sat there and was typing this thing on her MacBook air and she's over at her desk. He's like at a table, you know, she has a fair, you know, she's high enough up that she has a fairly spacious office in the West wing. As he's writing, doing this speech writing thing, her, he's seeing all these <laughs> iMessage alerts come in, in notification center. And she's totally like blabbing inappropriate stuff to the press. <laughs> Like, oh, I did hear about that. Yeah. Uh, just, and, and, you know, like, I don't think she's, she's not a stupid woman. Uh, I just think it was easily, she just easily forgot, you know, that, that 
she was logged into iMessage on that and that whatever you're doing on your phone in iMessage is going to if you know if you're signed into iMessage on your Mac too is going to it's, it's going to be mirrored over there <laughs> you know i mean mistakes happen i was given a presentation the other day for, off my ipad pro and uh you know face id timed out and i logged in i'm like oh shit i'm screen mirroring like Everybody just saw my password <laughs> oh, really? for my device. And I've never done that. I, I I mean, I teach training classes at like Black Hat and DEF CON. And Wait, but how did, they, how did they see it, though, if it wasn't just bullets? Is it because the letters show up before they turn into bullets? They show up for a split second yeah. before it goes into bullets. And I'm like, oh, that's fine. And it's like I use different – we'll get to passwords later. I use different ones for everything, and I can change it. It's no big deal. But Yeah, it's <laughs> – uh, I think it's called Pit of Vipers or uh... – yeah. Team team of Vipers, my 500 extraordinary days in the Trump White House by uh, Cliff Sims. I will copy and paste this and put it in the show notes. But but uh, let's also be clear. We don't know if she was on an iPhone as well. We know Bezos uses predominantly right. an iPhone based on his tweets. We don't know if she was. Uh, but the thing is, is even as uh, SMS, it, it's not like direct interception of SMS is something that the average person on the street can pull off. Right. Right. So, but it's on yeah. the table and 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 part of what made Bezos post extraordinary was that he alleged that there was some sort of nation state involved in it at some level without getting specific, but then said that they were told by the AMI is the parent company of the National Enquirer by by representatives of AMI that that David Pecker the owner was particularly quote apoplectic uh, very angry about allegations or an investigation into their relationship with uh, the Saudis and it has since come out somebody else reported a couple of days ago that at some point. I, I guess at some point this guy, uh, MBS, whatever his full name is, was coming to the United States and it was going to be a big deal. And, and somehow AMI printed up a bunch of these uh, – the, the New yep. Kingdom, a, a big flashy, glossy magazine talking about how great Saudi Arabia is and uh, under MBS's new leadership, blah, blah, blah. Uh, apparently at – you know paid by the Saudis to some degree, to the degree that, that AMI went to the U.S. Justice Department and asked <laughs> whether they should register as foreign agents for, for Saudi Arabia. Um, the Saudis, you know, uh, like you said, me and, you know, me, can I go, if I wanted to go snoop on my neighbor's SMSs, is, is it within my means? Would I even know where to start, how to intercept their, their unencrypted SMS or their cell phone calls? No, I don't even know where I would start. Well, but, call me. Well, it's not that <laughs> hard. That actually, I wasn't going to say that, but that actually, that actually is where I would start. Is I would, <laughs> hey, Rich, this is going to sound weird. <laughs> this is going to sound weird. Yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah. could, can the Saudis do that uh, without question? There's no no question that the Saudis have it within their capabilities to intercept cell phone calls or SMS messages. And part well, of this, you know, just to uh, not to go too far in the Trump area, but this is one reason why a lot of people are very upset that Donald Trump apparently makes a lot of phone calls using an iPhone. Uh, <laughs> not good. Well, and let's tie this to. A 
previous security story, which was the, and I can't remember the name of it, but the, it came out that there was that tool that they were remote exploiting iPhones with. Yeah. Uh, that, that is still in use. It just has more limited utility, yeah. but some zero day that gave them persistence and been able to uh, track on the device and they're, um, you know, a bunch of mercenary types from the U S and Israel, which unfortunately do exist, yeah. uh, had, had come up with that kind of like the, the gray box for, you know, government's trying to break into phones right. and that story broke right before this story. So I really interesting. I, like I said, I don't want to rush to judgment. Something absolutely smells off and it does not smell like there's, this is a, you know, an Occam's razor simplest explanation. Is it kind of a thing? I think as this story unfolds, I, I don't think we even, we're going to see things. I don't think we're even predicting right now. It yeah. could go in so many different directions. I, it is not as simple as Bezos is a famous public figure and, the the enquirer happened to you know somebody said here take these embarrassing photos of him and publish them it it's more than that we what more i don't know but it's it's not as simple here's some uh, embarrassing images of of a famous person in their uh extramarital affair I'm, by the way, very glad you made it so clear you don't want to see the photos because I was getting a little worried about that. Uh, I, you know, got to say, you know, it is an it, it. It also is interesting, and I have to I have to say I, I'm not saying anything a thousand other people haven't said, but I salute Jeff Bezos for his getting in front of this because he's obviously risking further embarrassment, right? They like the gist of the National Enquirer's offer to him, whether it amounts to legal extortion or not. Apparently, I've read enough stories about it that there's actually, you know, that's questionable. It's it's not cut and dry whether what they what they've put into writing amounts to legal extortion, but certainly in in the common sense of the word, they were trying to extort him, uh, which was to say, shut up and say say that you've concluded that there was no political motivation in what we published and we won't publish the following list of pictures, which we have and have been holding back. You know, well, that's extortion. It, I'm, and I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not saying it amounts to legal extortion. I'm just, but the legal definition of extortion in the United States, but certainly in the common sense word saying you're going to say something that you know isn't true because apparently Jeff Bezos is under the belief that there were political motivations. So they were asking him to say something he doesn't believe in exchange for something in his, in his favor. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say uh, that's extortion. And well, so getting in front of it, I say extortion. Salute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's not even like regular extortion and it's a huge issue in society and a growing issue. Like, I mean, my kids are younger than yours and, and I've got both daughters and a, and a boy and the conversations I'm going to, I need to have with them on this very soon are not, not going to be comfortable. Yeah. It um, is weird having a 15 year old, uh, you know, I mean, we've tried to be upfront about it. We've even talked about the Bezos thing and like here, look, you know, don't take pictures. So I had a, uh, don't make jokes. Don't, don't put anything. Don't, don't text anybody, whether it's a group text, whether it's a single text, don't text anything where you wouldn't want a screenshot of it seen by the principal at the school. Seriously, don't do it because it's going to happen. Or in 20, 30 years when that pops up. Oh my God. I can't even think about it. But there's i uh, I'll just tell one story related to this real quick. The, I, I can't tell you how the various associations work that, that get back to me on this one in large part. Cause I have no clue. Cause my wife told me I didn't listen to that part, but um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, there was a, a, a high school kid and some relation of ours knows the mom through like 
you know, three separations removed or something. And this car full of girls shows up banging on the door and the woman opens up the door and there, these girls are like, we need to talk to your son about child porn. Oh my God. She's like, what? Like what? And you, you, you know, you're thinking what I was thinking when I first heard that part of the story and cut to the chase for time's sake, the girl had sent him a naked selfie uh. unsolicited, like fully unsolicited. He got it. And this kid's 15, 16. He's like, whoa, I don't want to be dealing with this and wiped it right away. And because he spurned her, she was going to get her revenge by pick up his phone. It's child porn. He's got a picture of me on there, which he didn't because he had erased it. And uh, needless to say, the mom gave these girls a massive talking to once the the story kind of unfolded there. And my wife's response is like, have some self-esteem, man. It's yeah. like they weren't even in a relationship and she, she sent the picture. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen a lot of stories along those lines where it's just, you know, two 16-year-olds and, you know, they start sending pictures. And legally, you know, a picture of a naked 16-year-old is child pornography. But the interaction isn't, you know – it's it the 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 technical advances what's possible for kids to send each other and what is what they would be tempted to do are so far ahead of what the law has been written to protect against you know it's it is i I don't know i mean literally i mean I'm, i'm so old that literally we had to uh, we had to write our notes on pieces of paper. <laughs> I, I mean, it sounds goofy now, right? I mean, do, I, I, I can't even imagine that that's even a thing anymore, right? Kids don't send notes to each other with tiny little slips of paper cut off. You know, you just rip off the corner of a piece of paper and tiny, you know, with your with your unbelievably acute 16-year-old eyes write in microfilm size text. I, I It never even occurred to me. I, I never got caught exchanging notes as a kid i came close one time but uh never got caught but it never even occurred to me that with as small as i would write the note that the teacher wouldn't even be able to, <laughs> to read it yeah the the what they're growing up with and even the socialization is different i mean i look at my so i've got older nieces and nephews and then my kids who are nine uh eight and five and for them being social is being on devices yeah absolutely but, like I, my wife and I, we can't say go out and play with your friends because they all play with their friends on their devices now. No, it's definitely social. I mean, it's it's hard to parent because I don't know. We don't know how much to say, you know, step away from the device. But it, it, if we if we pull him off the, his computer, uh, it's not going to make him call up a friend and go to the friend's house. It just means he's not in the the you know, yep. the group text that is all playing different games at the same time, but texting and talking to each other. In some ways it actually makes parenting easier if you accept it because I'm not schlepping him all over town. <laughs> it actually, it's, you know, and, and we don't have to worry about where he is and he doesn't have to come home late. We know where he is. He's in his room. So it's actually, you know, in, in terms of being a lazy parent, it's actually kind of convenient <laughs> whether it's doing any long-term social harm to his socialization and, and, Whatever. I don't, I hope it's all right, but I got to tell you, it's a little bit easier in some ways. Uh, you know what? I'm looking forward to my, uh, I guess my kids becoming brooding teenagers instead of, uh, elementary school kids where we have to drive to eight different activities a day per child. Yeah. We're hitting the brooding years. They come on quick. 
it, it's it, it happens it happens fast <laughs> happens it very on you fast and it leaves you fast i'm trying to remember what grade it was i think it was eighth grade eighth grade social studies mr how Re- do you remember that well I, I i told you before we started recording i have very vivid memories of exactly when and where certain things happen mr wheeler had a basement classroom and he he had a uh he had a classroom with an office like a little a little cubby hole like not, not a cubby hole but he had a door behind his desk and he it was a private room for him it wasn't part of his classroom not many of the classrooms had this uh so his matt lauer room yeah effectively well he he, he definitely smoked it back there because he would sometimes come out and <laughs> in the way that like you might and you might think like they're never going to know i smoked but as a certainly as a teenager where you have these acute senses you could sm- you know you could smell that he smelled like smoke and there was no way he went outside because he wasn't you know it wasn't close yeah. to an exit uh but my friend mark and i had a note going where we had drawn you know the the gist of the note was what's in mist what's back there <laughs> mr wheeler's back room and we would draw things and uh you know like every you'd add something then fold it back up and give it to mark and then mark would add something and you know you'd like one of them was like a big pile of boogers because <laughs> you could occasionally catch mr wheeler picking his nose so we you know, there's like a big pile of dots and it's just and then you'd label it with an arrow it's a pile of boogers and how many people listen to this podcast and you just name dropped his nose well, I'm, I'm hoping i'm hoping i'm hoping mr wheeler doesn't listen to it sorry mr okay. wheeler. uh I tragically died of ALS three years ago. Uh, so, but yeah. it was a it just. A, I, I mean, I'm not even gonna. I don't even remember the specifics. But let's just say that the boogers were the least of the problems. You know, in terms of like it, it, it was rated R. It was a rated R note. <laughs> let's just say, uh, you know, it's just. I, it, I, I off the top of my head, I'm gonna guess that somebody drew uh, like a pile of porno mags. You know, just a pile of. You know, just a. It doesn't matter if it was uh, artistically looked like a pile of magazines. You just label it pile of porno mags. And remember when you used to have to actually go buy your porn in a store? Uh, I mean, thinking about generational differences. Yeah, that was, those were the days. Well, anyway, I got caught with the note. Mr. Wheeler said, John, what do you got there? And I had the note in my hand. <laughs> and? And I made I made an immediate... I made an, I'm very proud of this. This is why I remember. I, 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 I'm calm, cool, and collected under pressure. I took the note. I wadded it up. I put it right in my mouth with him <laughs> looking right at me, and I swallowed it. <laughs> I'm going to need a moment here. Uh, this is the honest to God truth. I, I wadded the note up right with him looking right at me. Because I realized I got no, there's no other way out of this. I'm either coughing up this note, which was literally maybe the worst possible, you know, literally had a diagram of the room behind his classroom with all sorts of awful things, or I can swallow the note. The only way I could get rid of it would be to to eat it, and it was on a small piece of paper relative, you know, to the you know to the amount of content in it. It wasn't like an entire eight and a half by eleven sheet of paper. It was maybe like a probably about the size of an index card, you know. So I'm I, laughing, but that probably saved your ass. I wadded it up, put it right in my mouth, chewed it up, swallowed it right there in front of him. And I said, uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I got in any trouble. I don't believe that I was I, – I, I believe that he was so amused by the reaction that uh, that I escaped any sort of, uh, uh, any sort of uh, penalty. 
I, I really do. Uh, and it turned out he was my homeroom teacher. And then in ninth grade, uh, I no longer had him for social studies, but I had him for, it was a, I went to a, a relatively small public school where it was seven to 12, all grade seven to 12, all in the same building. So I still had, I didn't go to like a, a different school between eighth and ninth grade. I still had him for homeroom. He was a basketball coach, not at our high school, but at a neighboring high school. And we, we, we ended up uh, as contentious as our relationship was as, as a student, uh, by the next year, I was I was like the maybe like the pet favorite in homeroom. So we patched it up, but that's my story of of. <laughs> I, I've got nothing of that level of. Uh, I don't know what yeah. you would do. I guess that, I guess what you would do is delete your texts, right? If somebody catches you with bad text, you can. Well, I mean, kids today too. Like for a lot of the stuff, they're using you know Signal or. Uh, or Wicker style apps are the ones that look like it's one app, and then there's the hidden text messaging behind it. Ah, um, no, see, so there's, know. yeah, there's a whole list of uh, if you look for, and I I don't know where it is, or I, I pull it up and pop it in the show notes. But there's a list of apps that actually have hidden messengers. And then you flick things a certain way, uh, and it looks like some other kind of a game or something mm. more innocuous. Yeah. So the the teens that are like under the gun, because I've had. I've known people that have had issues with troubled kids, so yeah. uh, depression or suicide or drugs and those kinds of things. Un- unfortunately, you get old enough, you've got friends with those kids, and those are the kinds of apps that the smarter kids um, and they all verbally, you know, kind of network those things among each other. So there are ways of doing it that they, that they can't get caught. I think probably most kids just use text message and get caught. But let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. It's our good friends at LinkedIn. Look, the right hire can make a huge impact on your business. That's why it's important to find the right person. But where do you find that individual? You can post a job on a job board and hope the right person will find your job. But think about it. How often do you hang out on job boards? Don't leave finding someone great to chance. When you can post your job to a place where people go every day to make connections, grow their career, discover job opportunities, LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members haven't recently visited the top job boards, but nine out of 10 members are open to new opportunities. And with 70% of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People who are qualified for the jobs you're looking to fill are right there on LinkedIn right now. It's the best way to find the person who will help you grow your business and why a new hire is made every 10 seconds using LinkedIn. That's a phenomenal number. So go to linkedin.com, dot, uh, linkedin.com slash talk, just T-A-L-K. That's the code for this show. And by going to that URL, you will get 50 bucks off your first job listing. That's linkedin.com slash talk, and you will save 50 bucks off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn.com slash talk. Uh, all right. So we, we need to know. We need to know what, what Bezos was using. Was it iMessage? Was it SMS? Was it something like Signal or WhatsApp or something like that? I don't know. But I, I can't wait to find out. I hope we do find out eventually. And I'm also curious, just whatever it was, how, they got, how those messages got to the inquirer's hands and what, what format they were. Well, and if there was an obvious route, like, oh, I let my brother use my computer during Thanksgiving, I, I, yeah. I think we would have known that earlier. I guess. Or at least the investigators would have. Yeah. I mean. I mean, I guess what you could do, you know, 
uh, off the top of my head, what would I do? I don't know. I mean, and did he know, was it like an open secret within the, within their, you know, the brother sister relationship that she was having an affair with Bezos? Uh, I mean, it's, I'm guessing it was, you know, that somehow they were close enough that he knew and he betrayed her. But I guess if he got access to one of her devices, like a Mac or even her phone, and he could take screenshots or, you know, you can't really forward text messages. You know, there's no forward command like email. So I think there is actually on iPhone. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Let me, uh, I'm pretty sure, let me pull this up, but I'm pretty sure I've forwarded messages. I can't remember how. Yeah. Uh, let's More. see. Tap and hold, click more, and then click forward. Hmm. And you can send it to somebody else. So there is a forwarding. I don't see it on iPad. How do you do that? So, so you uh, select it. And yeah, then... if you select the message and I just tap and oh, hold. Oh, I see. And then there's a little arrow message. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I the see. Same, same yeah. place where the tap back comes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, it's the same little uh, cur- curvy arrow as the... My uh, wife and I use that all the time, sending uh, like addresses for, you know, kid drop off and pickups and those kinds yeah. of things when we're coordinating. Yeah. Well, there you go. I just learned something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess he could forward them if he knew about that. Screenshots would be an easy way, uh, you know, and then, you know, there'd be this trail of those messages between her and him, you know, and then just quick delete those from while you still have her device. And then all of a sudden she's got no sign that he did it. Well, and, I mean, there's trails here. So the hardest thing for the private investigator to find would be if it was uh, handled at the carrier level mm-hmm. uh, and anything within the system there because, uh, first of all, I doubt the guy built an MZ catcher and was like sniffing SMS and doing phone cloning stuff. I mean, yeah. maybe he was. But that that's serious and those are also federal crimes. The other side of it is it breaking into the iCloud stuff. Like if all he did was add a device to the device chain – First thing I do if I'm if I go into a situation like that is I look at all the registered devices yeah. because that'll tell me now maybe he took the device off uh, and, and it would disappear but and also if uh, if um, multi factor authentication was set up you know you do an interview I mean there's no way to sneak that through without punching that code in so there's and you can even dig through some keychains and stuff if you really got into the deep forensics of this um, so I mean it, it it should be traceable if it involved one of their devices at all. Yeah. Uh, the other things, you know, and I, I, I think it's pretty simple. I think it's as simple as the brother having access to something, but you know, in terms of how safe are you with your iMessage? Uh, number one, I, I do think everybody, I really do think everybody should have two factor on their, their Apple ID accounts. And I don't know at what point, I don't even know, like if you sign up for a new one, do they even let you do it without two factor? You can because I don't have that turned on on my kids' accounts. Right. I don't know that my son does either, I don't think. Um, yeah, so I've got that on mine. But but it really wants you to put it in. You've got to deliberately right. you know, make choices to not implement it. Right. And, and, you know, but if you do the iMessage in the cloud, it does open you up to somebody being able to, if they only have your password, being able to read your iMessages if you're not using two factor. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder, I haven't logged in. You know, I'm going to log in iCloud because I can't remember. I thought it doesn't, it didn't display the messages in iCloud. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't like uh, no messages. No, there is no messages. So even when you have yeah. iMessage in the cloud, you can't read them online. So I guess the other way you could get them would be through the backup. Uh, if you, 
if you know if you could somehow restore somebody's iCloud backup to a device, you could restore the text messages that are in their backup. But I think if you have iMessage in the cloud, then those are no longer backed up in the backup. No, but if you add the device to your device ring, now the thing is for that, you get a notification on every device. Right. So when right. you add one, you have to, even if you have two-factor authentication turned off, you get notifications on every other device. Right. Like every time I, I mean, you and I both test stuff, you more <laughs> than me. Every time I like add a new Apple Watch or whatever, it's like, oh, crap. You know, then I, I can't believe at one point this fall, I couldn't believe that I could still continue to add devices to my iCloud account. Cause <laughs> I had like, I still had my year old iPhone, a two year old iPhone, uh, my new iPhone, three iPhones for testing, <laughs> my Apple watch, my personal Apple watch, a new, uh, Apple watch for testing. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, but you know, it, it actually works and it kind of makes sense. Cause you would guess that there are people within Apple who are going through testing devices at a rate that even makes me as a product reviewer, you know, seem like I don't have a lot of devices. Yeah. I mean, they probably have accounts with, you know, a hundred devices on there just to see what happens. But boy, when I like at the end of the review season, when I went in and like started, like, forget this device, forget this device, forget this. I, it was <laughs> It was kind of cathartic because I, even though I'm just like eliminating them from this list of, of devices, it, it felt like I was cleaning up a mess. <laughs> I, I haven't done that spring cleaning and I've got, you know, like you since, you know, iPhone one stuff still in there and half these devices I've handed off to other family members. Yeah. So they're fully wiped and, and I know I need to, to be better about that. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm revealing my passwords. I'm talking about not cleaning my devices. I'm, I'm really sound like a security expert on this thing, but it, it's like a lot to remember to go through and clean those out. Uh, so what do you, what do you think about, here's the one thing too, I, the, about this Bezos story that I would like to come out. And if it comes out that they really are just uh, uh, SMS text messages, and I guess it would be technically MMS if, if there were, <laughs> and if, as there apparently were photos involved, uh, if they were intercepted, and again, it doesn't look like that's the case, but I kind of almost hope that it is just in terms of serving as a public service announcement that SMS and MMS are not end-to-end -end encrypted and therefore somebody could intercept them over the air. Like it's just a bad state of affairs. And the thing that the, the thing that I would really like to catch on is the idea that this next generation uh, carrier-based texting system rcs is also not end-to-end -end encrypted and i just think it is nuts that the that we as a society are going to accept a new standard that that does not involve any encryption whatsoever it's we're building foundations of society on text messages at this point and like in the security industry it was a huge deal so nist national institute for standards and technology came out and said sms doesn't count as two-factor authentication Hmm. They like a year or two ago, they just flat out said it and people were screaming a lot of vendors and yeah. like providers and stuff that, no, you have to allow that. You can't say it's not allowed because once it goes into the, that government standard, when you do your security audits and stuff like the stuff I spend most of my day doing, uh, you know, it, that becomes a huge issue. And, and it was interesting because Apple is really early on the edge of circumventing SMS yes. and using their own mechanism and yeah. like way early on that compared to uh, other alternatives. 
And even some of the alternatives, like my bank, I'm not going to tell you who they are, but like I log in and I have two-factor turned on and it's every phone and every email address I have registered with them. Hmm. That's not two-factor, like sending those messages out because it's insecure. But to go back to the encryption piece, uh, this this is a generational tragic mistake that we're probably going to make yeah. at this point. And the carriers don't want to implement it for cost reasons or whatever else. Um, and we do actually have – it would not surprise me if there's government pressure yeah. behind the scenes yep. because they want to – but they they would still be able to build in intercept. I mean that's the law. They have to have lawful intercept at carrier-level stuff uh, as well as the um, – like we even saw pressure. There were financial services companies lobbying Congress not to use the stronger encryption standard in TLS 1.3 I remember, because then yeah. they couldn't, couldn't yeah. sniff their employees yeah. when they did that. It's like – your convenience you want to fundamentally make the internet weaker yeah I, I, but that's how people think sometimes uh the, the same people that think global warming is a scam i don't know yeah i i well let's not go down that path i am not going to brag about my personal security practices because i'm i'm sure it's lax in many ways but i don't reuse passwords and haven't for many years. I mean, at, at some point I did have my quote unquote standard throwaway password. Uh, and it, I still remember it. And I don't think I actively use anything that still has it, but it was sort of, you know, anything where I wasn't really concerned about it. Like, ah, if this got hacked, you know, my credit card's not even hooked up to this thing. I don't care. I had a password. I don't do that anymore. Uh, I last year, uh, maybe a year ago, maybe even a little more. I um, was talking to Mac J. Siklowski. I'm gonna. I hope that's how you pronounce his name. But the the pinboard guy, and he spent a lot of last year helping. Uh, he, he spent much of 2018, probably 2017 and 2018, helping Democratic candidates around the country, small grassroots uh, candidates running for Congress and other offices. Um, with fundraising and with getting their security together, you know, because there were an awful lot of security lapses in the 2016 election. I mean, you know, John Podesta's email was his Gmail account was hacked. I mean, it was at literally, you know, it, and it turns out there really wasn't anything scathing in there, but there was stuff that was embarrassing. A couple of Democrats had their Gmail accounts hacked pretty much because they got spearfished from my understanding. Um, yeah you know, where their account was really only protected by a password. Uh, they got an email that either they or somebody who worked for them clicked the link, followed through and entered their Gmail password. And that's game over with, without two factor it, you, they already knew your address cause they sent you the spear phishing email and then you give them your password and there it is. Then they use it. They download all your email. And even if you know it, it's too late. They got it all. Um, so he was helping people with that. And he was in Philadelphia and we had a beer and, you know, it's, you know, after the Matt Honan thing a couple of years ago where Matt Honan, who's now a editor at Buzzfeed, he worked at various other places before, but he more or less had his entire digital life stolen. Um, yep. And, you know, one of the ways that that happened and it wasn't through entirely lax, it wasn't because he was really doing bad stuff, but one of the ways that it happened was uh, the people trying to hack him took control of his uh, cell phone account at the carrier. I don't know if it was Verizon or AT&T or whoever it was, but they went there and, and socially engineered, Hey, I'm, I'm Matt, you know, 
I, I lost my phone or whatever their story was. I need, you know, I need to get a new SIM with my phone because, you know, and they get, and somehow they got a SIM with this phone number and then all of his two factor stuff that was sent by SMS went to them instead. And they took his iCloud and his iCloud was the, you know, his email was in charge of all sorts of other stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, he was in a world of hurt. So I took his advice and I, I believe to the best of my ability, anything that used SMS as the second factor no longer uses SMS as the second factor. I use something else like the, uh, I don't use Google's authenticator app. I use Authy, but it's yeah, that's the same one I it, use. It's the same. Oh, I'm glad to hear that you use it, but you know, yeah. it is a way, well, how would you describe it? You can probably describe it better than I can. Yeah. It's called, we call it OTP or one-time passwords, which is there's a, and it used to be like this crazy expensive thing. RSA secure ID was the only way to get it with the little uh, key fobs. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing in an app where there's some cryptographic synchronization that goes on between the app in your phone and whatever the server is on the back end. They share a couple of keys and then they use time codes. And so every minute it generates a new key, um, which leads to a new kind of anxiety because I have to use it multiple times a day. I flick it open and I'm like, oh, shit, three seconds left. Can I type it fast enough <laughs> Right or not? Um, <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> Well, three yeah. seconds is no question. If I open it up and I've got three seconds left, no question. I'll 10 just to 15 wait. seconds. Yeah, like yeah, I'm it's... on the line there. Like, <laughs> and, all right, well, have I been drinking? What's my yeah. dexterity like right well, now? And, and I'll, I'll tell this you, off. and for me, it's one of the rare things that to me is harder to do on a, a laptop or desktop with a real yep. keyboard than on a phone because the numbers are arranged. Like I can enter a six digit number on a three by three, you know, with the zero at the bottom keypad way faster than I can on a, a keyboard where they're arranged across in a row, one to zero. See, I've got an iMac pro with the big keyboard, uh -huh. which I don't use for anything except entering, entering those passcodes. <laughs> right. So on a laptop, it actually does take me longer. And so if it's like 15, 10 seconds, I'm like, I think I could do this, but if I make one mistake, I'm screwed. Ah, oh, what do I do? But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, you get like a one-time password that lasts 30 seconds at a time. That you use with your regular password also. Right. That's why it's the, yeah. Right. So you enter in, you know, your name at your email.com, your regular password, and then it'll say what, you know, here, enter your six digit, whatever account. And, you know, you go to, you know, you go to your app that, and it has a different one for every service you register and you get, have these series of 30 second, uh, one-time passwords. So I switched everything I could to that, um, you know, and I feel better for it. Yeah. That or like with Apple where there's the out of band, um, like I use a product called duo security. It's a commercial tool, uh, at Cisco bottom. I've got some friends that work over there, but, uh, like for some of my work related stuff, like one of my VPNs and it's cool. Cause it sends a push notification that pops up on my Apple watch and mm. I just click approve like right there on the watch yeah. when I'm logged in, yeah. which is slick and I don't have to kind of type in the code, but it's the same level because it's you know locked to the device I have on me right. that I've already authenticated with. Right. And like your Apple watch is only going to show that if you've already unlocked the Apple watch through your Apple watch's passcode or through the connection to your phone. So yep. in other words, if your Apple watch is just sitting there on your desk off your wrist, it isn't going to show the alert. You did inspire me. I pulled up my one password because I use like you unique password. I don't know. Do you use one password or LastPass? I don't use okay. any of those things to be honest. I, really? I, you use know, the built-in just the keychain key stuff? Yeah, which That's... we which we have to get to. <laughs> might be might be a mistake. 
Yeah. Um, and I use one password. I just looked it up. I've got 1,358 unique passwords and uh, going back to 2008. And uh, although apparently I had no password on my secure assist blog for at some point, I don't know, because that's a blank, but yeah. it's actually kind of fun to look back. My mobile me hmm. password, my Yahoo from 2008, free <sighs> hack Yahoo. That's good stuff. Yeah. No, I, it's like I, history. I do have a, I do keep passwords outside the keychain in, uh, Yojimbo, an app from Barebone software that oh, is only for the Mac. Is um, that still supported? Yeah. It's still actively developed. It's, uh, um, wow. okay. It hasn't really had a major update in a while, so I don't know, but, yeah. um, still works perfectly on, uh, on Mojave. So I have 637 passwords there. I don't know how many are in my keychain. And that but does anyway. have encryption, if I remember. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, part of it is the satisfaction. I know the people who wrote it. <laughs> so I know, <laughs> I know, I've, I trust it. It is, yeah. uh, you know, and I don't keep that password in my keychain. So that is, you know, that is one of the, that's like one of the few passwords where I, I have to keep it somewhere outside the keychain. Yeah, my iCloud and my one password password are the two, and my system login are the, I guess, the three passwords I don't have stored anywhere. My friend uh, Brent Simmons, uh, collaborator on on our app Vesper, and just a longtime friend, and he's been on the show many times. But he, we were on Slack together, and a couple of weeks ago, he <laughs> he he just wrote, "I can't believe this. I've had the same login password on my Mac for ten years, uh, and I suddenly can't remember it." Uh, <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I, that has happened to me because it is a muscle memory thing. Like yep. I type it without really thinking about it. And if I, th- it, 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 I can think about it right now and I could write it down. Uh, but it has happened to me where, where it's a different sort of memory from just actually typing it on the keyboard with muscle memory than actually thinking about it. And if you actually think about it, sometimes you can like temporarily forget it. And it is, it is terrifying. So I've had to read mine over the phone to my wife. Like I'm traveling and my, she needs something off the computer and I don't have, I'm not having an affair and I don't have dick pics on my computer. So it's okay. I don't care if she gets in there and I can't remember it. I, so I, I will pull out a keyboard and (laughs) type it in. (laughs) Yeah. And dictate it as I'm typing it. Like type it into a temporary like text edit document so you can see it and be like, oh yeah. Oh, that actually looks like a goofy password. There you go. Yeah. No, I'm like that. And it's, you know, and then he like, he was at work at the Omni group and then he like went home and he went just like the commute and he went home and then he could just type it and it was like, okay, I got it, you know, but he needed that like sort of contextual break, you know? Yeah. Well, that's my biggest fear, like getting hit by a bus and then my wife can't get into stuff. I know. Cause she does. And I have some of those written down and I've got a copy I sent to my, my lawyer and we, yeah. but she like, my wife's technical and for some reason she just doesn't want to use one password. Yeah. No, that is so, one, that is something that I want to set up. I want to set up like I don't know if it would be a safe deposit box. I don't know if it would be something I to give to my lawyer, but some kind of like binder of written stuff that is exists in a place where there is a if John is incapacitated, here's, you know, everything you need. I yeah. I don't have that set up. There's an awful lot that is <laughs> that it's in my brain. And, well, you got to maintain it because right. once you set it up, like right. the, the passwords right. change. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll set up so she can get into my computer and one password. Yeah. And I just told her if things get really bad, you, you, you know, you call one of my yeah. partners from work and like Chris Pepper, cause he's yeah. a, a friend and he's super technical and can kind of walk through and figure it out. And maybe uh, they can open up to the hacker network and somebody can get into my stuff yeah. if, 
if the paperwork is no longer current. Yeah. Chris Pepper is uh, one of the handful of people who should be an employee of Daring Fireball, but I've never paid him a nickel. But he's he has reported more typo typographic errors on Daring Fireball than I could ever count. We it's, put him on retainer at Securosis like eight years I, ago. And for his, so he, for yeah. his typo reporting ability. I just said, just go in and fix it. He's a just savant. Don't, he's an don't absolute, send me the emails. He's an yeah. absolute savant. And I agree with, I would say his hit rate, number one, he catches all the mistakes and mistakes of course get fixed. And when he has a quibble, like a suggestion for this would be better. I would say his batting average is somewhere between 90 and 95%. I would say no more than one out of 10, but probably closer to one out of 20 times. Will I actually reject his suggestion and stick with what I have? Yeah. We have him like edit some of our more complicated research papers that we do. And occasionally he'll have a miss on those, which changes the context. And he doesn't just edit me. It's my, you know, I've got two partners these days at Securosis and uh, he edits all of us. And now with the new company, the startup, um, I just give him the email of our marketing guy. And so he'll send him all the corrections. Um, so he's, he's pretty good. Before we move on, uh, let me, let's just talk about the various ways that people can send private messages to each other. And, and I'm curious what you would recommend. I almost exclusively use iMessage simply because everybody I communicate, almost everybody I communicate with is on iMessage and I send. I, I can't even remember the last time I sent a SMS. Other than when I do get some kind of like confirmation from some service or something, you know, I, I, it's all automated. Everything I get by SMS is automated, uh, and it, it, that is a weird aspect of being in the United States. I totally get it. Every time I write about iMessage, I have readers all around the world, and I totally get it that in Asia and Europe iMessage is is not really a big player and WhatsApp is huge and there's other ones, other services in other countries. I totally get it. But here for me personally, iMessage is everybody I want to talk to is on iMessage. And then second to that, and this is what you and I have used a lot, is Twitter yep. DM. Uh, not because I think Twitter DM is secure, but because everything that goes over Twitter DM, it's almost more like a more convenient form of email. It, you know, I don't trust it any more than I trust email which is to say in terms of security, not at all, but, um, you know, and, and I have my Twitter DMS open. I I did this a couple months ago and I thought it would be a disaster and I'd have to quick hurry and (laughs) shut the door and close them. And it's actually worked out amazingly well. I don't really get, uh, I get very little spam, uh, maybe like two or three a week. Uh, and you know, the ones that I get that I wouldn't have been able to get before, in other words, DMs from people who I don't follow uh, are very, you know, they're nice. They're just from readers and readers of the website and listeners of the show. And I kind the thing I kind of extra like about it is the nature of a Twitter DM uh, user interface wise promotes brevity. (laughs) I mean, no offense to those of you who send very long emails, but Email, you know, it's very easy to write a long email and it's very, it's not so easy to write a very long DM. And so getting feedback from listeners and readers in in the context of a DM is actually more convenient than an email for me. Yeah, I use uh, iMessage for anything and everything I can. The problem is, is I, I have a wider range of people, I think, and quite a few in, in particular, like family members and, and some friends that are not on iMessage. Uh, and so then I've got to use SMS for them, but I don't put anything in there that would be not sensitive, but at work I do. So 
there's times I need to exchange passwords and, and you know, not a lot, but I'll just go to iMessage. It's yeah. I, I trust the encryption on that. Uh, Twitter DM. Yeah. is same thing. Number two, I've got multiple ones here with various people, but again, I, I assume it's insecure, especially cause I, um, uh, had some of my stuff hacked. So it wasn't me. It was, there was one of those big exposure things. And this is a while ago now. Um, and, uh, somebody got into Dan Kaminsky's Twitters, mm-hmm. uh, and Dan and I had exchanged some messages about something. And one of the things was not horrible. It was mildly embarrassing. It was something like, and because it was about somebody else, but it was, wasn't insulting in any way. Um, but it was enough. I had to go talk to this person, um, who I think was wicked drunk at the time. So he didn't care when I went to him, <laughs> finally had the conversation, you know, and that re- reinforced, you, you can't trust it. Um, I hate to say it. I have to use Facebook stuff. I really try and minimize and compartmentalize it. Like I only use Facebook from my phone. I have it isolated out from like everything else in Facebook messenger. So I have to use that sometimes for like, you know, family members and friends that I, I don't talk to more than once every five years. And, uh, but the sensitive stuff I message first and signal or uh wicker would be the, the two that I would drop back to after that. See now signal. I know. And that is, you know, um, very well, but I, I'm not familiar with Wicker at all. How do you Wicker? How do you yeah, spell w- it? I think it's W I C K R or W. Let me pull it up. Um, yeah, it's one of those different spellings. So it's a uh, W I C K R, and Wicker Me is the name of the app. I guess they changed the name of the app. A friend of mine started the company, so someone I do stuff with at DefCon and everything, hmm. uh, which is how I got involved there. So a bunch of the DefCon crew, because um, I I work at DefCon, will use Wicker, uh, but. It's one of those two, but I, like, I mean, I use either one of them like once a year at this point. The thing I don't like about signal is that it, uh, your ID is your phone number and I don't like giving out my phone number. Like I, I've seen a lot of people in the press who, who publicize, you know, you can reach me on signal, you know, privately and here's, here's my phone yeah. number. Um, I, I, and I don't have, I, I, well, I have secondary phone. I'm certainly not going to use my main phone number for it, but I have like a, you know, if I spend 50 bucks a month for a second SIM that I keep in like an Android phone just for testing and to have another SIM, I could use that, I guess. And I don't really care if, if it's public, but I don't know. It still feels like an invitation to have my phone ringing off the hook. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's people that I know in the industry and who want to, yeah. they don't trust iMessage or right. they use, uh, or they use Android, which right. I, I don't understand any security pros that use Android at this point. Um, you, you just shouldn't be doing that. But, but some people do cause you know, freedom or something, I don't know. And, uh, so that, that's when I have to use drop back to signal. Do you feel differently about Android? Do you feel differently about Google's like the pixel phones? I would use a pixel phone if I had to, uh, they're not there yet. And, and that's the problem. Like it, Apple is such a lead because of how tightly integrated the hardware is and their secure coprocessors are, better than the Google pixel, what they have available in those devices. But, but yeah, I would be, if I had to use, I tell everybody, if you have to use Android, use a pixel, I wouldn't really, even the Samsung's I'm not always, that would be like the third choice would be a Samsung. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's keep going. So, uh, a couple episodes ago, Joanna Stern was on the show. I think it was two episodes ago. And she even mentioned at the end of the show, I said, what are you working on? She said she was working on a piece about webcams and webcam security. Uh, and then that column dropped last week. And 
I was intrigued by she. So she hired like a security researcher to help attack her, you know, knowingly to see, you know, how, how he could take control of the webcam on her. Uh, she had like an HP notebook running windows 10 and a MacBook running presumably Mojave. I don't know if she said, but uh, you know, recent version of Mac OS 10. Um, and I was intrigued by the vectors that were used to try to take control of it. But I disagreed with her advice at the end. Uh, and therefore I've sort of wrote a response to it. Uh, probably everybody listening has read it. You know, I assume, <laughs> I don't know. I don't assume everybody in life has read the stuff I write at during fireball, but I sort of assume the people who listen to this <laughs> podcast have, uh, so I won't rehash the whole thing, but I thought it was just very odd. I thought that her column sort of proved that webcams are pretty safe if you're running, you know, recent versions of either Windows or Mac OS X and, and pay attention to the default security warnings for things that you've downloaded and things asking for permissions. And yet her advice, you know, she was like, I'm, I'm still putting a cover on my webcam thing. Yeah, I, you know, and I've got friends and stuff who do that. And, and maybe it's because they haven't just dug into, you know, particularly on Apple, what they do. So, uh, first of all, if you're on a, a recent Mac, and I don't know how many years back, probably about two or three years back, I, I don't really worry at all. The, uh, the webcam is tied to the light, and that's done in hardware. Now, I had asked Apple, I think a year or two ago, and I didn't get a response. Uh, which was, is it hardware locked or is it a firmware lock? The difference being, if it's hardware locked, there's like some circuit that triggers. It. If the camera is on, the light is on. Right. Uh, and firmware being, there's very close to that, but there's like a little software decision that's made. But technically, you could blow through it by, uh, by compromising the firmware. Either way, that's not something that's happening under normal circumstances. No. And there and, was, and it's one of those things where once something bad happens, it, it lands in people's memory and then they never shake it. And there was an interesting story that the FBI had some sort of exploit like in the mid 2000s that could take control of a, like a MacBook's webcam remotely. Um, but that's a long time ago on very different hardware. Yeah. And, and Windows systems, I don't think most of them have that level of protection, but the operating system is a lot stronger as well these right. days than it used to be. So, I mean, I actually have an app that'll tell me if my microphone or my camera is on. The main reason I have that, it's one of the ones from uh, Patrick Wardle who does a lot of security research. It's more for the microphone part than the camera part that right. I've got that uh, attached and also see what pro – I'm just curious, you know, what processes are turning on my mic throughout the, the course of the day. Yeah, um, How's Chrome going to screw up my computer today is – how I otherwise refer to it, but um, yeah, Patrick Wardle has a utility. Do you know the name of it off the top of your head? Oversight, oversight, and yeah. I know that the guys at the, who do Little Snitch have a utility too. Um, oh, really? I miss that one. I I have Little Snitch on like everything I own. It's not part of Little Snitch, but they uh, they have a utility that does the same thing and and gives you a notice when somebody. Uh, when, when some, anything is accessing the microphone okay. and that was part of what I wrote was that I don't get this paranoia about the camera. I, I kind of do. I, I, I don't want to be obtuse. Like I kind of get it that nobody wants to be surreptitiously photographed. And, you know, there are people out there doing, you know, with bad intentions and there are, you know, most people don't really know how a computer works. And so they have no idea whether they can trust that by going to, 
xyz.com, whether xyz.com can access the, you know, can somebody clever who's making this website somehow turn on my webcam and can they do it without having the light come on? I don't know. So I'm just going to cover it up. I mean, I, I, well, it, I mean, it is a real issue in a couple of cases, one, depending on like on windows, I'd be much less confident and it's windows is way more secure than it used to be, but there's not the hardware software ties the way we get with Macs. I mean, that's one of Apple's, I, I got a piece of meaning right for like a year, which is Apple's strategic security advantages and owning the hardware and owning the software is just a massive advantage over everything else. That's why Google Pixel is, you know, the most secure of the Android devices because Google has that, that control of the entire ecosystem there. So I, I do worry a little bit more, uh, even though Windows 10 is actually much better than it's ever been and, and is really infection rates are a lot lower. It's still potentially more likely on the Mac side. I don't, I don't worry about it at all. If, you know, unless I'm talking to somebody who's on a really old computer. And yeah. again, my definition of really old and yours might be different than, yeah, you know, other people out there. Uh, the, the, uh, objective development group is the people who make little snitch. They also make the excellent, uh, uh, one of my favorite utilities of all time, uh, launch bar, but they're, uh, their app for letting you know when somebody has the microphone or the camera is called micro snitch. Anyway, I'll, I'll put a link to the, in the show notes. I'm just happy to know you use launch bar. It seems like everybody else is going to Alfred and stuff. And I love launch bar. I love launch bar. And I I've looked at Alfred and I've, it, it looks like a great alternative. Uh, and, but I've, I've, I've never seen any, I don't see anything that would make me want to switch main. Yeah. If only because I've got these crazy muscle memory for launch bar. Uh, but anyway, but they're two great utilities. I don't know how anybody, a power user uses goes without them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't believe that people are so paranoid about the camera. I get it. I get it. You don't want pictures of you, but, uh, boy, I sure wouldn't want to be surreptitiously recorded either. And there is no indicator light for the microphone. And quite frankly, to me, it, it, it all comes down to the question of, do you trust the software running on your device? Yep. And I get it that there's people, you know, and in the old days, computers are so complicated now. They're so much more complicated. Like part of what makes on, on a really modern MacBook, the camera is to, for the webcam goes through the T2 security system. And that's an iOS computer. It's a computer in the computer. And it, 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 you know, to use a, a, a variation of a word used by Jeff Bezos, it's a complexifier. <laughs> it's really cool that there is an iOS computer running inside your Intel-based Mac computer doing a bunch of security-related stuff, including completely controlling access to the camera, um, you know, so that nothing on the Mac can actually touch the camera. It has to make a request through an API, and the API has to go through the T2, which is running iOS and has a secure enclave and all this other stuff. That's all cool, but it's certainly, you know, it, it, it it's complex for me to understand. And I, you know, have a degree in computer science and 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 spend my days thinking about these things. For a typical person, it's it's a black box. I get it. Yeah, I'm not actually sure the T2 covers the camera. I'd actually pulled up that document. I know it doesn't the, say so in that document, but I was told by somebody that it does go through there. I don't know. Okay. I, I, it, it, but since it's still just an API call that anything can make, yeah. I don't know. That, I think that's why Apple doesn't really call it out. I, it, it does go through the T2, though. 
And I think Face ID uses all the secure enclave stuff for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's partly just to make it harder for anything on the Mac to access the firmware behind the camera that you can't even get to it because it's through there. So I I don't think they brag about it in, in the white paper, but I know I I've been told, I don't know for a fact, but I've been told for a fact by somebody who would know that, that if you have a, a Mac with a T2, the webcam access goes through there. I had thought that, but I, I was, I, that's, I flat out pulled up the paper because I knew we were going to talk about this. I'm like, yeah. oh, it's not in there. Yeah. Okay. So the cool thing that it does that the T2 ones do is that the microphone, and it is a physical disconnect. When you close the lid on a modern MacBook that has a T2, uh, the microphone is physically disconnected. So that there is, you know, there is the, the microphone actually doesn't even have an electronic connection. You know, it doesn't even get power when the lid is closed. It's actually physically disconnected. So you only have, you only, your microphone can theoretically only be used when the lid is open. You know, and that's also really good because I don't know how many like conference calls you're on. People are always closing their laptop lids and not realizing they're not running through the microphone on their headset. Yeah. And it stops that annoyance. (laughs) Well, you know what? All right. So let me go through. Since I wrote my, my, rejoinder to Joanna's piece on webcams. Let me, you know, I heard from readers, you know, all very polite. And it, it's one of those things where, you know, we can agree to disagree. And it actually makes me very happy in this era of, of everything turns into a shouting argument and nobody listens to the other side where it was all reasonable. And it made me very happy about, you know, the level of discourse between me and my readers. Um, but some, one of the reasons that, that, uh, Reader said, well, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I can't live without a webcam cover, you know, like one of these little stick on things with a switch because I'm on conference calls all the time and I want, you know, I, I, I just, I just want to know that I'm not being photographed when I don't think I'm being photographed. Totally reasonable. So, you know, that is that, that to me isn't voodoo. It's not a, I have no idea what an attacker could do. And so who knows what's running on my computer? It is, I know exactly what I'm running. I'm running whatever, you know, video conferencing software. And I want to physically control when I know that I'm being photographed or not. And that's totally reasonable. Yeah. And that goes back to the software trust, like right. everything I've got running, I've got to open it and turn it on. But I know there's things that people use in enterprises or whatever, where it could, they could pop it open or they accidentally have it on when they join a call. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm cool with that. Uh, and to be honest, there's something to be said for placebos. Like, you know, yeah. it makes you feel better. It's like I, my wife gives me crap all the time because I'm a scientific skeptic. I, I'm a paramedic. I got a bio like in college, like, Somebody comes out with the latest, I'm doing this diet or that diet or this or that or chiropractic or whatever. It's like, eh, none of that shit works. But I'm not going to tell you because it's not going to improve anything. And it's causing no harm to you to do that. Joanna's article, though, I didn't like because – and she is an exceptional journalist. Like I I feel like I don't like to criticize that – you know, somebody who's that good at what she does. But um, all those articles – and this is a bigger issue – it's like – really easy to fall into this trap when you're working with a security researcher, hacker type, and they may not even realize they're doing it where you want them to show you something. They come up with a way to do it, but you got to do like the four or five manual steps to allow it. And she detailed all of those out. What I've learned over the years though, is people lose that context when they read those articles. Right. right. So they hit the headline, the first graph and the last graph, and then they forget everything in the middle. 
Right. That was, I don't think it was the very ending, but it was like the ending of part one of my thing, which is basically people are going to take away from this. The wall street journal says you should cover up your webcam. Yeah. And that's to me is the wrong conclusion. Right. And, and the steps she had to jump through, but, and, 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 you know, to the, to, to Microsoft's credit, it was, to me, it was equally convoluted on, on the windows machine with the modern, you know, windows 10 and windows defender running, uh, you know, you had to ignore some pretty, <laughs> some pretty, really big warnings. Yeah, really big warnings. You had to click through, and and uh, you know the 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 guise under which her Max camera was compromised was somebody applying for a job that she was looking for to help with video production and sent her a, a resume that required LibreOffice. Number one, who sends the resume in that format? I mean. You know, who doesn't somebody doesn't want the job, right? Right, and once opened, required decreasing the level of macro security in LibreOffice to a point where LibreOffice says, Are you sure this is really insecure? I mean, whose resume has uh, A has macros, period, but B has macros that require you to decrease the default security settings, and then even then, it still said, Are you going to allow this app access to your camera? Cancel or okay. Yeah, it's so we and have this the thing light called, went on and the yeah. light went on. There was still I haven't seen any proof. And again, maybe there is a way and maybe it's a deep, dark secret on the dark web. And, and it's tightly held secret that there's a, some kind of way to get the MacBook or modern MacBook camera on without having the light come on. But if there is, I, I haven't seen it. You know, it, it's a category of something that we call stunt hacking. And stunt hacking is where you do something big and exploitative to, to get attention frequently. Now, uh, this was not directly that case. And I want to be really clear about that because the researcher wasn't like trying to trick her or make it out to be bigger than it was. This was a legitimate collaboration between the journalist and the researcher. Right. And he's like, yeah, here's the technique. So it, it's not really stunt hacking in the same way. Um, and sometimes stunt hacking can be good. So when Charlie Miller and Chris Vlasic like hacked cars, because that was legit. It was sensationalistic, but it also woke people up to an issue that was legitimately being being ignored. Yeah. The problem is when it goes bad. And that's why like I, I'm very sensitive to these kinds of articles because the average reader is not going to know the difference. Um, years ago, like when TJX got hacked, I actually was working with 60 Minutes. Uh, I got introduced to a 60 Minutes producer to do a whole piece on uh, on that kind of hacking. And if you remember, that was like they were using WEP for their network. And so the the bad guys war drive used the old for those who don't remember WEP was the not very secure Wi-Fi standard um, encryption broke into their network and then were able to sniff the credit cards and got many millions uh, and I remember it was like it was enticing because I'm driving around with this producer and uh, he flew into Phoenix where I'm living these days or those days and I'm driving I think I was outside of a Home Depot. And I'm like, yep, okay, I'm doing war driving. Like, yep, that's insecure, that's insecure. And he really, he's like talking about where the cameras are going to be placed and where Leslie Stahl is going to sit and all this other stuff. And he wanted me to like guarantee that that was not insecure so that she could walk into the office with the tape and show them, you know, have that have that gotcha moment. And I looked at the guy, I'm like, I'm not breaking the law to be on TV. <laughs> like, I, is that secure behind the scenes? I'm not going to fake it and say that it was definitively insecure because yeah, could I break that wireless network easy? Like at that point it was so easy. Anybody could do it, but behind the scenes, maybe they have those connections encrypted and I couldn't do anything bad. Like, I don't know. Right. I'm not going to put my reputation on the line. 
Um, and they ended up doing that story like nine months later with other people and which I was, I, I don't need that kind of fame. So I was right. totally fine with it, but it was really interesting because there's different desires. The journalists, you need the page views and everything. Some researchers do want to build up their reputations, but it's a fine line when you start writing these pieces right. without the right context. Is it sort of like, you know, like, Hey, it, like in the physical world, like, Hey, the front door is open. I can just open this front door. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if I can go in there and steal money from their cash register. I don't know if, if the cash it, register it, is locked or not, but I'm not going into the store. <laughs> I'm not going into their store while it's closed in the middle of the night just to, to see, you know, yeah, like, it's even more like I walk and I look and I see the door cracked open or the window right. cracked open, like right. without even touching it. Yeah. I, yeah. It's that exactly but I'm not going to pop it open and go in. <laughs> no, because fucking RoboCop might be right. in there. Like I'm not. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now, admittedly, I, I think they probably had horrible security behind that, yeah. but, um, and fully compromisable, but I, I can't guarantee it. And I'm sure it's hell not going on. In national television and saying yeah, I could. Uh, I will say this. I heard from somebody who knows. I, I mentioned a few episodes ago that uh, I, I'd mentioned that famously, everybody seems to think Mark Zuckerberg uses a webcam, a piece of tape over his webcam, because there was a picture of him once a couple years ago sitting in front of a MacBook with a piece of tape over the webcam and a piece of tape over the microphone. And I mentioned, if, I don't know which episode it was, I mentioned a few episodes ago that... Um, I don't know if that was actually, nobody's ever confirmed that that's his device. Somebody who works at Facebook wrote to me and said, I can confirm that Mark uses, Mark Zuckerberg does use uh, a webcam cover. Uh, so there it is. Mark Zuckerberg does. But he said it's probably not even his choice. He's got like a team of like eight security people and yeah. he just does whatever they say. Um, but I will say this, a piece of tape over your microphone does not, does not block the <laughs> microphone. And I, I encourage anybody who thinks that it does to try it. Put a piece of tape over your microphone. has somebody microphone. done that? Uh, I've seen people do it. So the thing that I've seen that you can buy on Amazon is you can buy a, it's, I don't know what they call it, but you can buy like a dummy microphone that plugs into the microphone jack and it doesn't actually do anything. But when you have a microphone plugged in the microphone jack, the MacBook defaults to using that external microphone as the microphone. And so it's just like a, a dummy plug. Yeah. Um, that would actually work to block your microphone. So if you actually do, for whatever reason, want to uh, block your Mac's microphone by default, I would suggest buying one of those. Guess what? They cost exactly as much as you think. They're like $4 uh, at Amazon. But buy one of those. Don't, don't, don't think you can cover your microphone with a piece of tape. It doesn't work. And don't be a target because if the attacker actually really wants to get your microphone and they know I mean, they can just look for multiple sound sources and switch. Yeah. It's just, I'm assuming that's probably not built into to average malware. So that makes sense. Yeah. Basically though, like I said before, it really does come down to, do you trust the software running on your device? And if you don't, I mean, it's like game over and, you know, like, well, I don't know why anybody would trust their keyboard. If you don't, if you think that you've, your computer is running software that could take control of your webcam and could take control of it in a way that wouldn't even show the indicator light, I don't know why you trust your keyboard. Why do you ever, I mean, why, I don't know how you could live if you don't trust the, the software on your device. Yeah. I mean, I mean, keyboards have firmware on them and there's actually been stories. There's been versions of those that have been cracked and, and, but I mean, these are like rare. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole like thing. Like what's the real risk to the average person? Like, I mean, you're kind of a target. I'm kind of a target in different ways. I'm because more of, of a the, target than an average person. Yeah. But not, not a big target. And 
No. Uh, you know, and, and so our risk assessments are different than like, you know, Jeff Bezos or, or Zuckerberg. And uh, the, the nature of the kinds of attacks that, that you're going to be subject to are going to be completely different. The average person just getting malware, if that malware can't like pop that microphone right away or get that webcam right away, they're moving on to the next one. Yeah. All right. Let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Away. Look, Away makes some of the best luggage you're ever going to see. And look, they considered all types of travelers when they made their carry-on. And that's why they make it in two sizes. They have the carry-on, the regular carry-on, and then like the bigger carry-on. Uh, and they come with an optional ejectable battery. I love this battery. I love it. You just have like this big, uh, super long powered, uh, battery right on top of your carry on suitcase with two USB ports, one of them, which does the PD. So you get the extra power, you get like 10, 10 or 12 Watts out of it. Uh, you just plug a cable in right in your suitcase plug it in your phone while you're at the airport waiting for your seat. So every single seat for me, I can go anywhere in the airport and wherever I decide to sit, I have a charger near me because I've got my carry-on with me because I have an away suitcase. I love it. I love this feature of it. It is true that in recent years, airlines have come out with these regulations on lithium-ion batteries. That's why the away battery pops right out. You just push it in, pop it right out. So if you need to like gate check your suitcase and it has to go under and you can't put a battery in it's like boop, click it out keep it with you at your seat and then you can pop it back in when you get your suitcase back no problem no tools required nothing like that couldn't be easier um it's really i i, I recommend the suitcase for that reason in and of itself you don't have to carry a separate battery uh they've got two types of material they've got their lightweight, durable German polycarbonate. And now they have suitcases made with a great aluminum alloy. Uh, you can charge your phone. Their battery can power your phone like an iPhone 10s or 10s Max like five times. And it's completely TSA compliant. They have a great interior compression system that lets you pack more. They've got this great, it seems so simple, but I, my old carry-on didn't have anything like it. It's this great little system and these two straps, you can put button-down shirts in there, put this strap over it, and it keeps the, keeps the shirts from getting wrinkled up. Uh, it's a great system. Uh, my shirts used to come out of the suitcase all wrinkled up. Now they don't. I love it. They've got four 360-degree spinner wheels. The wheels are fantastic. I've had my Away suitcase for years now. I don't know how many years they've been sponsoring this show, but I've had the same suitcase ever since they started sponsoring the show. It still looks brand new. It looks brand new. The wheels still spin like new. Uh, we have terminals at Philadelphia where they go downhill or uphill. It, the wheels spin so good that it actually it's it. I actually have to make sure I hold onto the suitcase right because it would just go flying away with me as it goes downhill. They spin so great. Uh, even comes with a TSA approved combination lock. Uh, they comes with a removable, washable laundry bag. Can't say enough about how great the away suitcases are. They have other ones that aren't carry on size, but the carry on is the one that I live and die by because I like to travel just with the carry on. I don't like to check baggage. Um, and they have a special offer for listeners of the show, 20 bucks off a suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com. That's awaytravel.com slash talk show awaytravel.com slash talk show. And just remember this promo code, talk show 20. Talk show, because this is the talk show, 20, because you'll save 20 bucks off a suitcase. So go to awaytravel.com slash talk show. Use that URL. They'll know you came from the show. And remember this code, talk show 20. Uh, 
and you'll save 20 bucks. Great product. I would recommend it even if they weren't a sponsor. You know, I've listened to the show. I've not heard that ad. I'm like looking at the website now because I travel a lot. I will say this. I, I wouldn't put uh, wouldn't put gold bullion in a suitcase if it's got a TSA-approved lock. <laughs> I can't. I mean, it's the best you can do. It's the, the best you're allowed to do is a TSA-approved lock. Let's just face it. A TSA-approved lock is not really much of a lock. I can't can't have a can't have Rich Mogul on the show and let it let it go. That well, do you, you know. remember that story where uh, somebody took a picture of the TSA guy holding up like all the keys on the key <laughs> ring, and then yeah. everybody scanned, like, "Hey, let's go 3D print all the TSA locks." <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> oh my god, that was can't make this shit up. That was a good one. Yeah, I can't say that I used the lock. Um, uh, well, but it's you know pretty basic airport security is to you know. It, I don't think you can go more than 50 feet without hearing a recorded voice telling you not to leave your bag unattended. <laughs> I'm like really particular about how I organize the inside of my bags. Yeah. And I travel just cause uh, it's gotta be the same. You spend enough time on the road. You don't want to think about it when you show up someplace at 2 AM, uh, which is why, sorry, I'll stop browsing their website now. <laughs> go back to the interview. Uh, let me think about what else here. Let me look at my list and what else do we have to talk about? We still, uh, still have a fair amount. Uh, let me say this while we're talking about, I mean, uh, trusting the, the, the software on your device. There's been a story. It started with Facebook and then it expanded to Google, but, but Facebook for a while had, uh, this, uh, VPN that they were quote unquote giving away free. It, it was called Ovono, Avano, Avana. I, I get it wrong. It doesn't matter. They had to get rid of it. But basically, they were using this VPN uh, uh, ostensibly to provide you uh, with security with a VPN, but they were using it to snoop on all of the VPN traffic to see what people were doing on their phones and using it to figure out, hey, everybody's using this WhatsApp. Even though they want $20 billion, it's worth it because look at, look at, the, you know, look what we can show people are doing. Well, Apple put the kibosh on that. And then uh, like immediately afterwards, Facebook started distributing an app and paying people, including kids down to 13 years old, like 20 bucks a month or something to install this, uh, which was effectively giving, you know, Facebook all of their traffic. And they were just, you know, you think, well, that can't go through the app store. Well, it wasn't going through the app store. They were distributing it as an enterprise beta, which is not what the enterprise beta system was meant for. Um, so TechCrunch uncovered that. Turned out Google was doing something similar, and Google got on top of it. And rather than taking Facebook's route of, we didn't think we were doing anything wrong, Google was like, ooh, we're sorry. <laughs> but there was you know, an embarrassing few days for Facebook, and I think for Google too, where, where Apple had revoked their enterprise certificates, which meant that all of their beta software inside the company was was inoperative. So even like beta versions of Facebook and I guess Instagram and all sorts of custom apps. It wasn't just beta. It was their, their internal app certificate. So any enterprise apps beta or not. Yeah. And like Facebook has an app, I forget what they call it, but it's effectively like a separate version, a shadow version of Facebook just for employees where they, that's how they communicate with each other. All of those things stopped working because they revoked these certificates. Um, but it turns out, and I, I, I did, I really had no idea about this, but as the story was unfolding and I was writing about it, people would write to me and say, you know, this is a bigger story than you think. And they'd like link to, uh, you know, various things, all sorts of companies are mis were are, are present tense misusing 
enterprise certificates in the same way to effectively allow what we've always thought wasn't really allowed on the iPhone, which is side loading, which is loading native apps, uh, not through the app store. I mean, there's gambling apps, there's porno apps, there's just all sorts of apps that aren't going through the app store that you can get, uh, you know, uh, just by installing a beta certificate. Well, I mean, I knew sideloading was going on. I mean, I work with enterprises, so I see those, you know, all the time as part of their, you know, legitimate internal apps and stuff that they get loaded. Uh, and I knew I, I've seen this abused actually in malware. So the one kind of tricky malware thing that that does work on iOS, if you can pull it off, is if you get someone to deploy one of those device profiles, uh, then they can have full access and, and sniff all the content on your device at that point, potentially, depending on how all that stuff's configured. Uh, I just had no idea it was being used for, you know, all these other, other side store things. Um, and so it makes me wonder, like we use circle here at home to, uh, monitor the kids and it's a, it's an app. It's like the circle by Disney thing. So I got the little puck and it, it actually does some things that are normally bad for security, but are, are usable to monitor kids activity. So we can limit the amount of YouTube time and stuff that they've got, um, with the younger kids. It's great. And they have a version that will work on devices. And I know you have to use a device certificate and basically what these apps do. So it kind of makes me curious if, if there are lines and if, if like that's considered legitimate or not, and they don't hide that that's what it does. So I'm kind of hoping that is real. Have you ever seen this site builds be, you know, like building builds.io and they have the no. build store. I mean, go check this out. I mean, it's, it's. Unbelievable. I mean, and it's chock full of, I mean, it seems like the main thing that builds.io has are game emulators, uh, like a Game Boy emulator and uh, a PS, miners. PSP emulator and an S, uh, super, because all these emulators are not allowed in the app store for copyright reasons. So you can't put like a Nintendo Game Boy emulator, you know, in, in the app store because Apple isn't going to let it fly for copyright reasons, because the only way to play the games is with, you know, using game ROMs that you don't have legal right to. But this builds.io is just chock-a-block full of emulators and, like you said, uh, Bitcoin miners and stuff, to iTorrent clients, uh, all sorts of stuff. There's some other, I forget, I just linked to it yesterday and they already got shut down after I linked to it. But it's like a whack-a-mole type thing where they, you know, every couple of weeks they just come up, This somebody told me they just come up with a new name uh, and just go to a new site and have a new certificate and it's just from some random company in China. But it effectively is just a way to, to stream pirated movie and TV content. I mean, this, I had no idea. I mean, there's a, this is a giant, uh, no, I had, I'm, I'm looking at this now and all the, yeah, I, I had no idea this. Oh yeah. All these, yep. It's, comic box, movie it, box. It, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's rampant. It's absolutely like Facebook is far from the exception. And if they ever looked at, I mean, it almost makes me, I don't, I'm not, I can't say I'm sympathetic to Facebook, but it almost makes me think that maybe they had an excuse here. Like, Hey, everybody's doing this. Like there is a rampant market in side loaded iPhone, iOS native apps that go through the, the developer certificate system. Uh, and I, my question, and I wrote yesterday, I really don't know the answer. Is this something that Apple was, was blind to, or are they purposefully turning a blind eye to it? And they kind of know it's going on and for whatever reason they accept it. I mean, there's, I don't know, it's tough to police that, but Apple does have a little bit of money to hire cops. 
I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, certainly I know enterprises use this in all sorts of, of different ways, typically legitimate, but I've seen ones that are, you know, kind of, kind of on the line in terms of, uh, employee monitoring sorts of things. But at that point, that's usually like work devices. They own it. It's not the same thing as a consumer. And I think that's what those certificates were meant for. These ones, I looking at that build IO, I had no idea it was that big. I mean, I, I knew it was happening. I didn't know it was that big. It does this. Uh... It seems like it would be a big job to police this, but it doesn't seem like it would be too big a job for a couple of a company of Apple's resources to police with a reasonably sized force. And I've been saying for a while, I suggested a couple of weeks ago, like the uh, effectively that I, I, I think Apple should have effectively like a, a Bunko squad for the App Store, which would be not uh, an entirely, you know, in the way that like the. Uh, Hopefully everything that goes through the App Store gets reviewed by the App Store reviewers and they would catch things like blatant copyright violation, like a game that uses Mario as a character that is not from Nintendo. Well, you would hope that Apple's app reviewers would, would catch stuff like that. Um, but there are all sorts of other ripoffs. There are a ton. There's just a, a cottage industry in ripoffs where people find popular apps in category X, let's just say weather apps, and they find a popular weather app. And then they make an app that is like a visual clone of a popular app and and give it a name that is super similar and then hope that when you search for that app, it, their, their you know, ripoff version shows up high in the results and they make money. And there's all sorts of goofy, look at the top grossing charts. You can, it's not that hard to find a bunch of apps that make you think like, why is this there? You know, like why, why are there antivirus utilities that are doing well in the iOS app store? Like what in the world, you know, given the sandbox restrictions of, of app store apps, what in the world could, you know, whatever you want to say about what uh, antivirus software is useful for on the desktop uh, and how many of them are actually useful and how many of them aren't on iOS. It's almost ridiculous. Well, and why it, are they doing so well? And, and I, I, so I sort of feel like outside the app store review system, Apple should have a team that is specifically looking for fraud in the way that a police bunko squad is looking for things like three card money games and pickpockets and stuff like that. I mean, I think whether or not it's going on now, it, it's inevitable. Because I mean, let's think back to the whole reason iOS is so secure. I mean, you know, remember Apple pre-iOS security was kind of an obscurity thing, and Apple realized they can't grow the market unless people can trust their devices. And if the App Store gets too overloaded, which is, I think it is approaching that, because I, I run into the same issues. I mean, I install apps all the time, and I'm. Not infrequently, I end up installing the wrong one because it's plus plus weather, whatever, as mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, weather. Um, I mean, you know how Apple works. Once the reputation damage hits a particular point, then they, they're usually on it. I think it's just flown under the radar. And it seems like this last year, uh, last 12 months, it's been kind of becoming part of the social consciousness a little bit more. I would hope so, you know, and but then you get to the other aspect of this, which another recent scandal in the app store were these screen recording frameworks. And I don't know if screen recording is quite the right word. It's not like they were taking movies, but, you know, more or less these frameworks that you can install third party frameworks and you put them in your app and then it'll, you know, give the 
you know, let's say you have an app and then you install this framework and then it'll give you feedback on all of your users on what buttons they pressed and what path they took through like the first run and all of this stuff, um, which in theory is useful, but it's, you would think would be, you know, odd to be restricted to your beta testing and if you were going to use it in production, should have some kind of warning and opt-in, opt-out type thing before it starts going. Uh, and it was, you know, it, the story was scandalous enough. There's another one that was broken by TechCrunch, uh, to their credit, that Apple, you know, last weekend was going through and 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 systematically looking for apps that have these frameworks in them, and then sending developers notices that you know that you've you know you need to sub you have 24 hours to submit an updated app that complies with the terms of the App Store. Um, and again, this it, it gets to a point I wanted to make with you is that th this isn't necessarily a security violation, but it's definitely a privacy violation because you have a reason you have reason to expect that the buttons you click as you go through an app that you've just downloaded aren't being sent back to the developer. Yeah, I both of these issues together are, are really interesting because their abuse of the system. So you talk about trusting the software. I actually come from a different perspective. I don't trust all the software I run on my systems, <laughs> which is why I love iOS right. because it compartmentalizes. it. So I don't trust Facebook worth Facebook worth a shit. And I have to use it for various things, family related. And like I'm, I'm in the 501st Legion. That's all Facebook or not mm -hmm. all Facebook, but a lot of it, the communications is there. So I need to be on that. Uh, but I only run it on iOS and with all the restrictions around it because I trust that Apple has given me a secure compartmentalized platform. So even if I want to use something untrusted, it's in its own container. And the side loading of the apps is one way that can just blow past that. And the screen recording frameworks, it's, it's not as bad because it's, it's still within that app. But if you're not communicating that to the people using it, and in particular, like like some apps are fine, I, but if you're if it's an app that has like private info that you think, yeah, I don't know, I I don't like that. I I just don't like slimy, you know, vendor stuff. If they disclosed it to the users, totally different. Yeah. I mean, and you know, everybody does click streaming now on their apps. Like they're they're keeping track of everything you click on a web app as it is. But that's different than like full on screen recording in my book. And I but maybe not. Yeah. I don't mean to be holier than thou. I, I, I don't. But, you know, I had an app in the App Store recently, you know, Vesper, a text editor, a little note-taking app. It never in a million years would have occurred to us to, to do that. Like, it, and I realized our app is relatively simple and we didn't raise, we didn't have big venture capital things to, to, to satisfy. And, and we, you know, we ended up not being successful. So maybe we should have, I don't know, but it, I, the reason why we failed though, wasn't because we didn't track what users were tapping and what they were typing. And I, it, I don't know. It, I, I wouldn't want that information. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's the, the, something that the industry I hope is sort of coming to grips with is that that for a long time now, it has been, if you can collect it, collect it, because of course we want this information, we can do something with it. Whereas I feel like people, companies are starting to come to grips with the idea of, we don't want it. We don't want this information on our hands. We don't want it to be there. We don't want to have to protect it. Like if we don't have it, we can't be hacked and have it stolen. Oh, I wish more people thought like that. Actually, I don't because it would dramatically affect my income. Right, and, but, um, the, but everything you collect as a company about your your users is 
is a liability in a sense. And maybe you'll come to the conclusion that the benefits of that data are outweigh the liability, but you can't overlook that it is a liability because now you've got this thing to protect. Whereas if you don't collect it at all, you've got nothing to lose. Well, like we have trackers in our product. It's in beta right now, but they are for errors. Mm -hmm. They are, we track which of the features they're using or not using. Um, not, not kind of a screen capture thing. And, uh, and if it was a consumer based app, there's just a level of stuff that, that I wouldn't want. And to be honest, I mean, I think a lot of the, a lot of this data correlation and big science and AI stuff, like we hear, I, I think most of us is crap. Like, like I know Amazon sends everything to Facebook because I, I, I hurt my knee. I bought it like this thing, fitness device to do rehab on it. And I'm in Facebook and I see ads for the thing I just bought on Amazon. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Right. Like, you know, I paid for it. Yeah. I don't need two of them. And it lasts more than like the two months since I've had it. And, and you know, it's not like one of them is some rinky dink company. These are two of the big five, right? You bought it on Amazon and the ads are showing up on Facebook. It's not, I have not seen a single ad that would actually drive me to click on it and buy something more often than not. It's stuff I've already bought. Yeah. Uh, I recently, I, I don't know. I think, I think I mentioned this a few times recently, but for years up, up until just like maybe like two months ago, I didn't have any ads on Instagram and I don't know why. I don't know if it, I don't know if it's because I, I literally signed up on the first day that Instagram was public. I wasn't on the beta, but I, I knew people on the beta and I thought that looks like a neat thing. I'm going to keep my eye open. And then, you know, the day that it launched, I signed up cause I wanted at Gruber uh, I don't know if it's because I signed up early. I don't know if it's because I'm slightly internet famous and I got whitelisted for a while. I don't know, but I went years without getting ads. Now I get Instagram ads and I tapped one the one time and then <laughs> every single ad I saw after that was for the exact same thing. Everything. I mean, <laughs> and that's not tracking across. That's just within the app, you know, but it is, it, it was a cars for kids. Uh, it was cars it, for kids. <laughs> But it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. But the stuff that happens cross company like that is really maddening. And I don't know how they don't think it's creepy. Like in the real world, if you went into Nordstrom and you were looking at black boots and you thought, oh, you know what? Maybe I want my wife to give her opinion on this. I like these, but I'm not going to buy them right now. Okay, thanks. Thanks for letting me try them on. And then you leave and then you go down the street. If somebody like in the next door down there is like, hey, hey, Rich, you want some black boots? Wouldn't you be freaked out? You'd be freaked out. That would be so weird. I had a, just yesterday, I had a conversation with somebody and they work at one of the, the major brands on the security team there. And this is work related stuff. Uh, and it came up their big data analytics, like the stuff we're talking about right now. And, and I can't give you any context. Like this is right. like literally household name kind of a thing. Uh, and the guy was laughing. He's like, yeah, we've not seen a single bump in sales because of this. What I'm guessing is a multimillion dollar program. Like, but it just creeps the shit out of me. It goes back to, to the sympathy I have for people who do run webcam blockers, right? Because you know, something's creepy going on in your computing life where you buy a knee brace at Amazon and all of a sudden Facebook is showing you, you know, therapeutic knee braces, you know, something creepy is going on. So where do you, you know, you don't understand what's going on. 
I don't even understand exactly how that connection is made. Why not just play it safe and cover up your webcam? I get it, you know? So I, I, it, I stand behind my rebuttal to Joanna's piece, but I still, I, I have deep sympathy for the people who are just like, see what, just what they see that is going on in front of their eyes with stuff like that. I can see where they're like, screw this. I'm covering up. <laughs> well, and related, the whole thing like was Facebook listening into conversations and using yeah. that to drop ads in, which we don't think they were, but right. But it's not implausible. Like, I fully believe if Facebook thought they could get away with it, they would do that. Right. And, you know, like I've pointed out several times, the f- microphone doesn't have an indicator light. So I'm, I kind of hope it almost makes me want to move to Europe. Like the GDPR stuff is finally starting to hit over yeah. there and, and actually have an effect. The privacy regulations they have. I don't think we're going to have anything here, but I do have a feeling, I don't know, maybe the optimist in me that, uh, you know, there's kind of the potential for a generational shift. I'm okay giving away some of my privacy. Like I go to Disney World, I get the magic band, they mm-hmm. track me and my kids and everything we do. And in that context, that isolated context, for whatever reason, I've made the informed decision. They're not hiding what they're doing there. Um, within my computing, I use all Apple everything because when they went all in on privacy, which was only what, like f- within the last five years that they started really, really putting that into place knowing that I had a nice safe place to go where my privacy was respected, I'll pay extra money for that. And that's my choice. Um, But the average person doesn't, you know, it's just a markets thing and they don't understand necessarily. uh, Although I think the survey data is starting to show people kind of understand more and they're not okay with it. Yeah. Well, I would say Apple's, uh, it's a big, slow ship, but they started steering in the direction of privacy more. I, I would say about five years is when they went public with it as something that they touted. But like one of my favorite stories I got from from somebody at Apple was the, on the creation of iMessage was um, when they had the idea for iMessage and that they had the idea that we could, you know, we could do this end-to-end encrypted thing uh, or we could do, you know, just do our own messaging service and 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 sort of usurp SMS when you're communicating iPhone to iPhone or, and then, you know, they, they clearly had it in mind, Apple device to Apple device. And one of the dictums that came down from the very top, I guess. Yeah. Cause when iMessage came out, Steve jobs was still there, but it, you know, from Steve jobs down, it came from whatever we do engineer this such that we don't have the messages. We don't want them. We, or we don't have them in any form that's readable, you know, that it, it was never an afterthought. It was, it it was from, it was just a notion with no code or diagram, but let's, you know, one of the top level bullet points of iMessage from the beginning was let's engineer this from the ground up where we never have the plain text of these messages ever. Uh, And for the reason of, we, we don't want them. We, d- we simply don't want it. There's no, nothing good can come of us having it. So let's engineer it that way. And if you look back at when they, uh, just their hiring history for people on some of the security and privacy team, you can kind of start seeing when, when people who were really re- well kind of respected and, and cared about that stuff start going in as well. Hmm. I, when was iMessage? When did that first get, re- was it with iPhone one? No, it was later, no, right? no, it was later. Uh, I'm going to say like 2009. Was when it was announced famously with, uh, oh, maybe I'm conflating it with FaceTime. I don't know. I'm going to guess 2009. doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes a long time, but it's so embedded into their culture now. If it had happened in the eighties, I could tell you exactly what year it was. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
but yeah, that, but that's been, you know, but again, that sort of thing that I've been talking about where they, they, they're, they've been conscious for a while of let's not collect anything we don't want to collect because bad things can happen. You know, having covered data security, like that was when I used to work at Gartner, like over a decade ago, that was the part of it that I covered. And one of the top recommendations is like, don't have data that's going to create a liability. Hmm. All right, here we go. Uh, I got the Wikipedia history. iMessage was announced by Scott Forstall at the WWDC 2011 keynote, June 6, 2011. Yeah. So there we go. 2011. Uh. Yeah, exactly. What were you, I, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, I was saying like way back when we were advising companies, don't keep data if you don't want that liability. But in particular, it's on the marketing side or anybody in the advertising based yeah. has just slurped up that stuff forever. Uh, and sometimes there, there's interesting things that kind of bite you in the butt. There was, um, God, was it Dropbox, I think, had to do a disclosure related to GDPR. Like they weren't tracking the data, but what happened was there was one part of their system that was saving a log file down that people didn't even know was being saved down onto that system. Huh. And, and, and I could be totally wrong if it was Dropbox or Twitter. I mean, it was just one of the big kind of consumer names and, and they fully disclosed it, closed it down. And a bunch of people started screaming their heads off. And it was like, no, this was a legitimate technical error. Like somebody didn't turn off this one log thing and it was just sitting there in a secure area to begin with. All right, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor. It's our good friends at Squarespace. Look, if you need a new website or if you have an old website that needs to be redone, you should do it at Squarespace. Squarespace has everything you need to host, build, design, update, keep updated a website. Everything from domain name registration to picking from a slew of professionally designed templates, all of which work responsively on everything from phones to big screens on the desktop, everything, any feature you could want on a website, a store with like a catalog and SKUs and do commerce right there. You could do it in Squarespace, uh, a portfolio. Like if you're a designer and you want to have a portfolio of your work, your personal portfolio, you can do it right there in Squarespace blog podcast, host it right on Squarespace, update it. How do you update your blog? Go into Squarespace. That's how you post. Everything is there. It is a terrific service. You can do it all visually. You drag and drop. Like you, there's no question why you're making changes to your Squarespace website, what it's going to look like. Because what you do is right there in the browser window. And when you drag something from the left side to the right side, you see it right there. It's what you see as you're designing is exactly what people see when they're visiting your site. Uh, it's a great service. They've been sponsoring this show for a long time. Uh, and they keep sponsoring it because people who listen to the show keep signing up to make new websites at Squarespace. They have great customer support. They have great analytics. I always mention this because I just love it. It's their analytics is such a great interface, such great data presentation, um, so once you have a Squarespace website, and you want to see where are people coming from, how many people are visiting, where are they coming from? You can check it all out in their built-in analytics. Really, really nice. Uh, you can start building your website today at squarespace.com. They have a free trial, so you don't have to pay anything. See if it works for you before you pay. But then when you do pay, remember this code talk show, just T-A-L-K-S-H-O-W. Use that at checkout and you get 10% off. 
and you can pay for up to a year in advance. You can save 10% on the whole year. It's a really great service. They keep sponsoring the show. I can't thank them enough. Go to squarespace.com slash talk show. And remember that code, same thing as the URL slug, talk show, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. That's squarespace.com slash talk show. All right, we're getting towards the end right here, Rich. Uh, uh, there's this uh, keychain stealer story, which I, I can't let go by without talking about <laughs> What the hell is what the hell happened with this? This is this seems like a nightmare. Yeah, it, again, so this is full on like an overlap of I don't know, I'm not going to say stunt hacking in this one. So a uh, younger researcher released a video, had a way to get into the keychain and steal all the passwords on an entire system, so not just the current user. And uh, and built a, a tool to go ahead and do that. Uh, the functionality of the tool, like Patrick Wardle, we were talking about earlier, the, the kid sent him the code. He, yeah. he validated that the whole thing worked, put a video out there and said he wasn't going to release any more information because Apple doesn't have a bug bounty program. And this for is the like, Mac. They don't have a bug bounty program for yeah, Mac. Yeah, for the Mac. And even for iOS, it's limited. Right. And you so have to, it's this like, like, yeah. It's like invite only. Invite only. And, and so this is like a full on firestorm of like disclosure and. And was it real? Was it not real? So uh, I sent you a link. Dan Gooden did an article over at Ars Technica, which is really good that, well, yeah, it was just, you had to have some pretty deep access onto the system to make this work anyway. So you would, it is the kind of thing you would put into malware if you were writing malware, but you got to get that malware to run in the first place to pull those out. And it, that doesn't work under certain conditions. It only had access to certain, not the iCloud keychain, but the local keychain, uh, kind of a, kind of a thing. So, um, so the issues for me that I thought were fascinating, one is like, I get it. It's your vulnerability. It's not really a vulnerability. It's your exploit. Um, and you discovered it. And as a security researcher, it is your right to do with it what you want. But what's the public good here? Right. Like, you know, releasing a video and saying this is possible and then saying you're not going to disclose stuff unless you get paid. Like, you know what? Take it. Go sell it to Saudi Arabia or something. <laughs> Or, you know, the U.S. government preferably or whatever, if you want to make money off of it, if Apple doesn't have that. Or release the information responsibly to Apple, like notify Apple, let them clean up. Apple used to be kind of dicks about that. Now they're pretty good or much better than they used to be. Um, I've heard much more positive things about um, – really, really positive things in many cases about researcher relationships. Uh, you know, but but releasing the video and creating the hype and doing it that way, I don't know. It's just like not – Whatever. In his defense, I mean, it's not really a defense, but, you know, he is 18. So maybe it's the the folly of youth. Yeah, it's true. And and some of that's a culture of the on the security side, and particularly the, the research exploit side, where you have to build up your reputation by kind of releasing stuff in public. And then you get the better, to be blunt, the better job opportunities and stuff in some cases. It, it's... Yeah. A weird like it's like actors kind of a meritocracy it's a meritocracy but it's not at the same time it puts apple in a weird spot though because it's like you know it's certainly i'm sure it caught the attention of apple's security team and the keychain team and they would like to have some <laughs> they'd like to see the code and and fix it i don't know that they have enough to go on to fix it you know so here's this thing that is you know, and Patrick Wardle is is you know has a good reputation and it was a former NSA uh, consultant or whatever, whatever he did, you know, used to work with the NSA and certainly is, is highly reputable and, and vouched for it, you know, had access to the code and said, yes, you know, 
does what he says. Um, so it's out there, but Apple has no way to fix it other than independently finding, you know, the bug that he was using. And I, you know, from what he showed, it, it seems very difficult. You know, the proof of concept video doesn't really show you the how at all. It just shows you that it works. Yeah. And I mean, Apple can likely, you know, they've got smart people. There's enough details in the blog post. Um, and even if you, if you look at the updated post, he's good. You know, he even says, quote, this is not a security bug in OS 10. Everything works as designed. This is post exploitation technique. Hmm. And so, um, and I, don't I, know, I don't understand what that means. What does that mean? Yeah. So for compromising a system like this, there's a couple of things you need to do. First thing is you need to find that open door. So that's the vulnerability. So somebody has a crappy lock on their door, the window lock doesn't work. Uh, and that's the thing that you can use to get into the system. Uh, sometimes it's tricking the user to install something with privileges. I mean, that's the right. way all that targeted phishing stuff works. Sometimes it's what we call drive-by. Um, if you get like a drive-by browser exploit, it means you you hit a website and then it exploits you. Uh, it's harder today. We used to have a lot of those. Uh, or there's uh, some other kind of virus or, or something that could be transmitted um, through email, whatever. There's a variety of techniques. So you got to get your your toes, your fingers into that system with that initial exploit. Once you get that exploit, or the, you have to have the vulnerability, then you have to be able to exploit that. And so if you think about system integrity protection and ASLR and a variety of uh, and kernel ASLR, all of those things that you see announced at WWDC or in those security papers, that's all to reduce what if that vulnerability is exploitable. So on iOS, all the compartmentalization is, even if there's a malicious app, it doesn't have access to much. It's kind of like stuck in its own little sandbox. So it shouldn't be able to affect other apps. So you've got the vulnerability, then you have to be able to exploit the vulnerability, and then you have post-exploitation. And that depends on what you're doing. So one of the things you likely want to do is escalate your privileges to get up to like administrator or root level. Uh, and then there's all sorts of other stuff you do. That's where you install, you know, the webcam sniffer and microphone sniffer and keyboard sniffers or Bitcoin miners. That's all post-exploitation. Yeah. Have the vulnerability, exploit it, get your footprint, then do the bad stuff. And this is a part of the bad stuff. So this is post-exploitation which means you already have to have compromised that system to for this thing to work. Uh, and it does some things that are bad, but it's, you know, it's not an actual vulnerability on the system. And Apple does limit, uh, have things to limit uh, post-exploitation in various areas of the system. T2 chip, you can't exploit and uh, nail the boot ROM. Hmm. So, for example, one of the things... It, well, think about jailbreaks and tethered versus untethered jailbreaks. So a lot of your listeners probably know the tethered jailbreak, like you got to redo it every time you reboot your phone because hmm. the boot of the system, the secure boot process kicks out whatever you did. It's like running in memory. The moment you power down and power back up, it reboots, it's gone. Uh, the T2 chip, for example, on the newer, I mean, admittedly, not a lot of systems have it, brings those same protections to the Mac. Uh, and there was earlier stuff to help reduce the persistence of what you could do. So that's kind of that whole chain of stuff. Yeah. Well, and it won't be that long before I, I it, everything like that has to start slow, like the T2, you know, and yep. it won't, you know, five, six years from now, isn't that long. And then all of a sudden the vast majority of Macs in active use will have a T2, you know, it's just how it works. You got to get it's started. 
it's one of the cool things about Apple is because again they control both that hardware and software. There are other cryptographic co or sorry, um, security coprocessors on the market. Like you go to AMD and you read through their stuff, or I'm sorry, ARM, and the ARM specs have that in there. AMD has chips, hmm. and in every case, it's this secure, you know, it's a system on chip thing uh, that's designed specifically, and they all have similar functions. Apple's more mature, but because they have both the hardware and the software, they can do cool things like embed certificates for software updates. So you can like completely wipe your Mac and start over using a, a secure, you know, kind of chain because Apple's actual company certificates embedded. Yeah. Uh, last thing I wanted to talk about, and it's not really, it's not really, I mean, hopefully it's it fixed for good, but there was that group FaceTime bug a couple weeks ago. And that was the other thing that people brought up in response to my, Hey, I don't think you need, I, I really don't think you need a webcam cover. And they were like, well, what about the group FaceTime bug? That just shows bugs can, you know, if they can, if they're a bug like that can slip by, I don't trust anything. And I have to say sort of bad timing <laughs> on Apple's part. <laughs> like it really was a bad bug. Uh, but I can see how it happened. You know, it was just like a weird, it's like a weird bug in the flow of answering a phone call, you know, a, fa a group FaceTime call where it was like accepting the group FaceTime call before you actually accepted it and left it connected. Yeah. I mean, but you can see how that spooks people, right? It, yeah. I mean, it's a full legit spook. Like wh when I read it, I'm like, oh crap. I think it was in an airport because I travel a lot. Do I need to turn my FaceTime off? All right. Well, if somebody calls me on FaceTime other than my wife, then I'll turn FaceTime off. Right. And within an hour, it was blocked anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, these bugs, even if you're really good at security, they're going to happen sometimes. Uh, Apple does miss stuff like everybody. They're much better than they you know, were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And some of these like bugs, like people get all you know crazy about some of the lock screen bugs um, that come up. And the lock screen bypasses. Yeah. It's like, exactly the same sort of thing. Yeah. You can fuzz against some of these situations and others. It's actually hard to build a test harness to find all of them. So I don't know the details about how this one slipped through the cracks, but this, to me, this was a good security story. Like it was bad that it happened. Um, the reporting and the disclosure stuff was messed up. Kids get a bug bounty by the way. So that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and and we know Apple is is going to fix that. I mean, they they publicly apologize for that, uh, and they blocked at the servers like within an hour. Like I had people still on Twitter like three hours later. Turn off Facetime. Turn off no. And then I'm like, why would you turn off Facetime? And they're like, well, just in case. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> have fun with that, guys. Yeah, I I don't know. I wonder how many people have turned off Facetime and left it off in the in the <laughs> in the light of this. <laughs> It was never more than a group FaceTime bug. And they did, like you said, I mean, ideally the the family's report would have been somehow escalated and been seen by the right people and they would have taken action sooner. But it does seem like they were able to disable it at the server side as quickly as you could expect them to once it did escalate. Yeah. And then and individual FaceTime still worked, which was great. Right. right. So... I mean, there was the escalation, of course, with all of these things, and, it, and this ties into the previous story, the whole bug bounty thing comes up. And, and I will say, like, I never thought Apple had to do a bug bounty. Um, I think they can be valuable. They can not be valuable. It depends on how you do it. 
I, I do think though, now that Apple's had it out there, like if you're going to do it, really do it. Um, yeah. and then they've got a little bit of a half-ass. I mean, Microsoft does a similar thing where there's very definitive bounties for very high value windows exploits. Uh, but ignoring the Mac or whatever, right, you know, that, that, that makes it a little tougher yeah. story for them to, to kind of justify that. All right. Last but not least, I want to talk about Amazon buying Eero. Uh, because Eero, I have to say, is a longtime sponsor of of this podcast in particular, but Daring Fireball, they've sponsored weeks at Daring Fireball as well. Uh, I have Eero Wi-Fi network equipment. That's what that's that's what gives me Wi-Fi at home. I'm still using them. I'm going I plan to continue using them. Um but I have to say I'm a little disappointed by the news. And it's a, I want to I want to talk about it in an episode when they're not sponsoring the show. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm on ubiquity myself because of not privacy concerns, just because of the nature. Because I could. Yeah, well, ubiquity, from what I understand, is is higher end. It takes a little bit more expertise to set up, uh, maybe a lot more <laughs> more expertise. Uh, it's good stuff. I've heard nothing but good things about ubiquity's Wi-Fi stuff. Uh, I like the sort of just plug it in and forget it aspect of the Eero thing because I'm lazy. Um, and I here to, you know, at least till now I do trust them. Uh, and it really is the, the ease of setup makes it really easy to recommend to, to friends and family. Uh, I mean, again, the Eero is not sponsoring this episode of the show, but I will say their stuff is really, really easy to set up and their app has a really, really good interface for configuring stuff. Uh, anything that a normal person would want to configure on their, their Wi-Fi. Um, and I guess the, the thing that I wrote was that, look, I, you know, I liked Eero as an independent company, uh, just having a Wi-Fi company that was just doing their own thing. I kind of knew in the back of my head that, that, you know, the end result for them was probably going to be an acquisition. And I was sort of hoping it was going to be Apple for privacy reasons. And that maybe that would be Apple's re-entry in the Wi-Fi market. Uh, you know, I can think of worse places than Amazon, you know, could have been Facebook. Uh, but the truth is owning a Wi-Fi base station, you know, gives you everything you would want in terms of like that stuff that Facebook was doing with their VPN in terms of like, we'd like to know what people are doing with their network traffic. Well, if you control the base station, uh, you could do that. Yeah, I had really mixed feelings. So it was a Euro or Ubiquity when I was deciding on my network. And the, I mean, the main reason I went with Ubiquity is because I've got the background and, and I like to tinker with, with that stuff. I had uh, a, a different one before that was an Euro competitor that's kind of tanked uh, Luma because um, I had known some people over at the company when they started that. The So here's, put the security hat on, here's the risk assessment. One is they can't do that without at least notifying you, right? Track all that info. So you're covered on there or FTC violations or what's left of the federal government could go after them. Um, and then they would lock themselves out of like the European market and stuff where you just can't do that Two, your cable company or whoever you get your internet from tracks absolutely everything anyway, as right. does your phone company. Like that traffic is just there. It, it, I hate it. Um, uh, I've looked at VPNing and and I do use a couple of VPNs for uh, at times, mostly when I use Facebook, just to fuck with Facebook. But um, the uh, 
uh, even like I've got gig ethernet. I, there's not a, a gig ethernet VPN supported anywhere I can get my hands on. So there's like a sacrifice you've got to do there. So that data is getting out anyway, and Amazon or whoever could buy it. So I don't mean to diminish the risk, but the creep factor is really there. And just the fact that that was everybody's first response, like you, yeah. when Eero got acquired, it's like, damn it. Now Amazon's going to read all my websites. And I have, uh, um, an echo in the kitchen, you know, <laughs> right next to our home pods. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> uh, I have one. So I, it's not like I'm anti put, you know, and I've got another one in my living room, which I really probably could disconnect cause I don't use it anymore. Um, but more or less just for controlling lights and shades verbally. Um, so I'm not, it's not like I'm opposed to putting Amazon internet connected devices in my home. Uh, I, I don't know, but, it, and, and like I wrote yesterday, there was a, I forget who had the story, but somebody asked Amazon for comment. Do you cha- plan to change, you know, the terms of service for Eero? And they were like, no, we don't at this time. <laughs> And I get it. Like I even wrote, I get it. I get it. They're not going to say no. They're not going to, the, 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 the ink isn't even dry on this. It hasn't even been approved. You know, it's not a finalized acquisition. Although I, I can't imagine why it wouldn't go through, especially, you know, in the Trump administration. And that's not anti-Trumpism. That's just general Republicanism as being more amenable to, to, you know, less, less likely to pursue, uh, you know, to, 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 to look askance at an acquisition for anti-competitive reasons. Um, I mean, I, th- I, I would bet big money that this will, you know, that Amazon will successfully acquire Eero. Um, well, it's like, I mean, it, it just somehow, uh, it's like, I, I don't know. And again, I don't think that if you're an existing Eero customer, you have as much to worry about as what does it mean going forward when there are new devices that come with new terms of service? Like, I don't really, you know, Amazon's not stupid and I don't think they're evil. I really don't, you know, so they're not going to do something dumb and, you know, turn your existing heroes into spy spying devices without telling you. Well, like, I mean, the vast majority of my professional works on Amazon with Amazon web services stuff and doing assessments, building things and everything else. I mean, Amazon, you know, it's, it's another big company. Um, I think what this comes down to in a lot of these privacy related issues, because I, I mean, that's a big chunk of what we've talked about through you know, the last couple hours is like, a, it's just privacy after privacy after privacy. And it's a really personal thing. Yeah. You know, it's like all of our lines are very personal and not always logical. Like I don't do the webcam stickers, but I won't use an Android phone. Right. I minimize Google services and Facebook, even though I have to use Google for a ton of work stuff. And then I'm like, well, the, the Google, the G suite stuff, they have privacy because you're paying for it. It's enterprise versus like, there's just all these lines there and it's becoming, you know, it's hard to navigate it. But I think when, like with the Eero, you know, it's something you've come to trust and expect to behave a certain way. And when that it's that fear that that's going to change, it's just totally legitimate. Well, and the other, the flip side of it, the elephant in the room is the fact that Apple has exited this market, the consumer Wi-Fi base station market. And like you, you've just, you've said like at least two or three times during the show that you've, you've gone all in on Apple stuff because you trust them. Uh, as a, and as a company that more and more promotes itself as a protector of personal privacy, it just feels like an abdication for Apple to exit the 
this market. Like I, I you know, I, I presume I can only presume that there are good business reasons for it, that they weren't making significant money with the airport base stations. You know, if they were, I can't, you know, why in the world would they get out of it? But as a company that wants to promote themselves as, Hey, get into our ecosystem and we we're going to protect your privacy because we have no interest or, or financial reason otherwise, boy, without, if you, if you don't have a base station, you can trust it's all from moot anyway, right? Like well, your, your, your devices, your Mac and your iPhone and your iPad, uh, you know, can all be as private as, as Apple can possibly make them. And if your Wi-Fi network is transmitting everything you do to Amazon, it's all for moot. That is the single most perplexing thing in Apple's product line to me, even over, you know, various, we can get all the debates about the MacBooks or the different iPad sizes and, you know, or, I don't know, our iPod touches still around. I mean, things right. like that. The most perplexing to me is if we look at Apple's longer term strategy of TV and HomePod and watches and phones and iPads and everything else within the home uh, and as they expand out with HomeKit, like, like how do they not have the thing that ties all of those together? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's like the linchpin of it all. And the, one of the biggest obstacles of getting somebody moved up on technology with like friends and family who aren't good at this stuff is routers. Yep. Like I can't just, I can't point them to something and say it just works. I, I, I can't cut it out because the Euro or like the Netgear Orbeez and stuff are, are much better, but um, or with, imagine if it had all the password sharing features that we now have between iOS devices. Like, yeah. I mean, there's just yeah, so much, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know why it's not there. Yeah. I, there's I a lot that Apple could do with a modern, you know, uh, you know, cause the airport that they sort of stepped away from was years old at the time anyway, you know, that it had been years since it had been significantly updated. And, and like you said, there's all sorts of stuff they've done recently, like with the password sharing stuff, um, you know, that, that if, man, if it was built into the base station level would be even more convenient. You know, there's all sorts of little things like that. Like the, the whole, I don't think they've, they did an airport update in the whole era of, um, what, what was the name of the, it was like a catch all phrase for this the sort of, AC. No, but what's the, the integrations between like iPhone and, and, uh, and Mac. Oh, continuity. Continuity. Right, right. In the era of continuity. I mean, surely there's ways to do things, you know, that, that, that could make continuity even more fluid and, and less of a delay. Like when you go to the sharing sheet on iOS and you want to open up the current web page on your Mac, you know, just if, if the base station is looking for stuff like that, I mean, surely it could, they could make it more convenient. I mean, then the password sharing thing for the Wi-Fi is so cool. Every time it, it, it doesn't come up very often, but when it does, I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've always closed that window because I'm tapping other stuff. Cause it's yeah. so cool. I forget it's there. Um, well, and I mean, like some of the more, you know, just getting devices hooked onto the network um, or man, I just want my iTunes Wi-Fi backups to work. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. those don't work on any of my, I can't get it to work on any iOS devices anymore. Yeah. And it's probably some networking thing that yeah. a tool like that could, could just deal with that for me. Yeah, it does, you know, whether, you know, whether they were making a lot of money on it or not, it would, it just seems baffling to me that they got out of that market. And, and it's like, I don't know what they, you know, what is Apple's recommendation for, okay, so what, what should I use for my Wi-Fi? What do they, what can Apple say that they stand behind and say, here's what we think you should use instead? 
Yeah. I mean, again, it's just astounding. It is the glue for their entire ecosystem in the home and they have nothing for it. Yeah. It seems untenable to be honest. Like, I don't know. You've got all the little birdies. I don't have little birdies anymore. Well, but. I, I don't have any little birdies that have said anything about airport or anything along those lines. So, yeah. uh, you know, if there's something cooking, I have no idea. I hope there is, but it sure looks like they're just leaving it aside. And and boy, it it really could use Apple. Apple, are you listening? Because I really, yeah. Actually, I mean, I'm I'm all in on this other stuff now. It's yeah. expensive to set it up, but. For everybody, every place else I am, I'd love to have it. Yeah. All right. Rich Mogul, thank you for being on the show. Uh, everybody, your longstanding website and consultancy has been uh, Securosis, S-E-C-U-R-O-S-I-S.com. Uh, probably the easiest way to get there, though, is just Google Rich Mogul, M-O-G-U-L-L. <laughs> and you got a new – now, what's your new – you mentioned this at the outset of the show. You got a new startup you're 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 working at. Tell me yeah, about it. It's pretty cool. It's called Disrupt Ops. So it's cloud uh, operations and security automation. And uh, basically, I was talking before about Amazon Web Services. We've built a platform that can kind of go in and not just find problems with your environment, but automatically remediate those, integrate with your existing workflows, do things like, hey, we found this public S3 bucket. We'll send a notification to the right person. Uh, and if they don't close it in three days, we shut it down. So it's like all this really cool like software-defined workflows and... Uh, automation to help secure cloud environments and then also like save money. Like, you know, we, Hey, you've got all this stuff you're not using. Why don't you let us shut it down? Stuff like that. Yeah. So I just saw somebody, somebody recently who had like a photo sharing thing, had a, uh, uh, S3 bucket that was public and should not have been public and had guessable names of people who were fishing all sorts of pictures out of there that they shouldn't have. That's a common one. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is, is it's like in, that is in a lot of ways, I, my CEO and I fight on that one all the time. I'm like, it's so easy. We shouldn't talk about it. And he goes, everybody still screws it up. Yeah. I don't know why. So, I don't know why, but uh, public S3 buckets are a huge one. Yeah. So that's great. Yeah. So that's disruptops.com yep. is the name of the website. You're, and your title is VP of product. Yeah, actually. Oh, aren't yeah. you important? No, nah, not really. <laughs> It's and fun though. People can also, and perhaps where where people listening to the show are most familiar with your name is your long longstanding contributor to Tidbits, where you write on security related issues. Uh, Tidbits dot com, uh, and on Twitter, R Mogul, and that's with uh, two L's. You know, my wife. I told my wife said, "Who's on the show?" And I said, "Somebody new, Rich Rich Mogul." And and she said, <laughs> she said, "That's his real name." And yeah. I have to admit, it never occurred to me. I, all the years I've known you, and I've known you at least 10 <laughs> years, it never really occurred to me that your name is almost like a comic book character. So I didn't know. I, it never clicked for me until I was like a junior in college because I'm at a bar. <laughs> I, I shit you not. I'm at a bar and I'm like hitting on a girl and I go, hi, I'm rich. Like I can tell you the name of the bar. Speaking of memory things, it was See? catacombs. <laughs> In Boulder, Colorado, and I'm at the bar, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm rich." And she looked at me, and she goes, "That's nice." <laughs> and rich I turn mobile. away, and I'm like, "I'm like, oh, damn it! Why did I not figure that out earlier?" Jeff, yeah. Bo- Jeff Bezos, a rich mogul, you, the rich mogul. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm, and I look a little like Louis C.K., so I'm in bad company these <laughs> yeah. days. Uh, yeah. Keep that on the download. All right. Thank you, Rich. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, John. It was fun.